that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Lamarie, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, your Cleveland.com Ohio State coverage team. Hey, like those headline things at the beginning, I don't have to do those anymore. So we're just going to get awesome. right into the podcast. We're I was literally about to try to give you some yeah. signal because we hadn't talked about that. I was like, do we need to do the five headlines? I was going to like type it out on my phone and show it to you. There's a whole thing where Google is now like going to do searchable podcast stuff, I think. Like they do searchable stories. So what was for that? So we're still doing them, but we don't have to put them in the actual podcast. So like after uh, this is over, I'm going to do a headline thing. So then I think you can say, like, uh, I don't know, hey, Google, what's up with Ohio State? And, like, maybe, like, the two-minute Buckeye Talk thing will come up, and then that will encourage you to listen to us. Although the thing that I find odd is that that's, like, a news and informational thing, and this podcast is about neither news nor information. (laughs) So it's kind of like a bait-and-switch to be like, oh, these professional guys are talking about football. It's information on chicken sandwiches and things like that. We really have not talked about robots enough since you got here, Nathan, but we'll hopefully get back into robot talk. Hey, there's a football game this week, though. Uh, you can review us. Get some more reviews in there. Um, somebody complained the other day that like Bill Landis' name is still in the title somewhere. There are so many like descriptions and titles on different things at different places that I no longer have the password to. So, like... I'm going to be dead, and Bill Landis is still going to be described as being on the podcast. So, like, you you get it. Fine. We're doing the best we can here. Um, drop a review. Follow us on Twitter at Stephen underscore Means, at N.W. Baird, at Doug Maurice. Read our stories at cleveland.com slash OSU. And subscribe to the texts. Listen, you guys are subscribing to the texts so well that the bosses are kissing my butts. So, ah, my butts. I only have one yeah, butt. You have multiple butts? <laughs> I'm sick. I'm still sick from Miles Garrett. Do I have multiple? <laughs> I'm going to take that out and put that in Google. Hey, you got multiple butts? Welcome to Buckeye Talk, land of multiple butts. Let's talk about Penn State, Ohio State. This is probably going to be a real game. But anyway, again, this text numbers are through the roof, and we appreciate you guys for doing that. We'll get to our text subscriber questions later because we love you. We think this is going to be a game. Or do we? We've been talking about it on our YouTube channel. Make sure you get subscribed to that. And we'll start with this. We're going to have Bob Flounders from Penn Live, a great um, Penn State beat writer, is going to come on later, talk for about 30 minutes. Really good ins and outs about Penn State, nitty-gritty and big-picture stuff. From the 650 from the tech subscribers, what are the reasons to be nervous about Penn State? I feel like they're a paper tiger and we're going to thump them at home. I say this as an extremely jumpy Ohio State fan who is ready for a letdown at every turn. Are they a paper tiger? So let's address are they a paper tiger first, and then let's play the game of what are the reasons to be nervous. Even if people aren't nervous, let's pretend you're nervous, which is always a fun exercise to do. Pretend you're nervous, but first let's address Nittany Lions, paper tiger, yes or no? No, I, I don't think they're a paper tiger in the way that we found out Nebraska was a paper tiger so many weeks ago. That's a good had, comparison. Where we had, we had talked ourselves into them being better than they were, and then Ohio State made them look silly. I think, or even the Michigan State game, I think this more being potentially like the Wisconsin game. I think Wisconsin is still legitimately a really good football team, but... And evidenced by the fact that it was 10-7 early in the third quarter of that game. That was a competitive game into the second half in a way that no other Ohio State football game has been this season. But 
eventually, especially considering that game was in Ohio Stadium, Ohio State just wore them down and was able to pull away for a really comfortable victory. And that's the way I kind of see this playing out. I think Penn State has the athletes, has the physicality, has the coaching to hang with Ohio State, to compete with them for a while. But I don't see this being a game that's going to be especially close late in the game. I think Ohio State still just has a talent advantage, especially if Hamler can't play, especially with some of the other injuries that Penn State's dealing with. This They may not be coming into this at full strength, and I don't think this is the kind of team that can beat Ohio State in its stadium at anywhere less than full strength. I don't think they're a paper tiger. That's a that's a great statement. Paper no, Lion, actually. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Paper Lion. I don't think they're that. I just think, I think that Paper Lion was a movie. Was it? Uh, yeah. George Plimpton, right? Yeah. I've never heard of either one of those. So two George Plimpton was. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> okay, Boomer, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, I don't. Non Boomer. I don't know what that is. I I don't think they're a paper. You're t- such. You're such a Generation Zer. You don't even know what the OK Boomer thing is, <laughs> which is young people making fun of boomers. I'm a so mil- old. I'm a millennial, though. Are you? Yeah. Ninety six <laughs> is the cutoff for millennial. I'm ninety four. You were born. Wait, you were born in nineteen ninety four. Yeah. You came onto the earth in nineteen ninety four. Yes. Huh. In 1994, let's see. Go ahead. I, I got my driver's license in 1994. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I got married in 1995. Oh, wow. Wow. So single Doug and I shared I, the earth for... I could... I mean, I could be your dad. <laughs> biologically. Biologically. Yeah, biologically, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would wouldn't. say chronologically you could be his dad. I don't know about biologically. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That would be... Yeah, it'd be some conversations. Um, Continue, young person. <laughs> they're not a paper tiger. I just think there's there's good, and then there's what Ohio State is, and that's like super good, or that's an elite level. And like to your point, Nathan, I think they're good enough to hang around. But eventually, the talent—I don't think the talent equates the way Ryan Day and Jeff Halfley think the talent equates. I think eventually Ohio State's talent is going to take over because there's what Penn State can do. Like we talked about, there maybe at the top of that second tier, but Ohio State is probably. Right now, number one at, in that cream of the crop group, and there's a huge gap in between those two teams. And eventually, in that ga- in the game Saturday, that's going to show. I like when uh, people make points that disagree with headlines that are currently on our site. That I spent <laughs> I was up till three o'clock in the morning writing. All right, so here's the deal. So, so part of my deal with this whole thing is. Just as a refresher, in case you haven't been paying attention this Ohio State season and you're just tuning in now, these are the this is what Ohio State has won by in its first 10 games. 24, 42, 41, 71, 41, 24, 49, 31, 59, 35. So, like, when is somebody going to, like, challenge them, right? The, part of mine on this, and I'm not, like, looking for I'm not trying to, like, go out of my way to seek it out, but I'm just sort of in the idea of, like, are they actually going to, like, get through a regular season Winning every game by at least three touchdowns? No, I think next week at Michigan is where it's going to get tough. Here is the story that I did about the equating talent thing. And the, the quote from Ryan Day was, this is a talent-equated game. We all know we've been in some games that we have had more talent than some of the other teams we've played. This is a team that talent equates. Between 2016 and 2019, I didn't do 2015 class because those are fifth-year seniors, and usually if those guys are sticking around, they're not. They're good, solid players, but they're not here for a fifth year because they're superstars. 2016, 17, 18, 19 classes. Four classes, right? 
I did Ohio State schedule, the Buckeyes and Ohio State schedule. These are the four and five stars that they recruited in those four classes, okay? Ohio State has 72. That's 12 five stars and 64 stars. Michigan has 58. Penn State has 52. On Ohio State's schedule, next is Nebraska with 23. So then, like, Wisconsin had nine, which is, again, not to revisit Wisconsin tries hard, but Wisconsin tries hard. Like, they do what they do, but it's not with talent. So when you talk about equating talent, they have gone through, not only is this like a weird thing, and I want to get into your story a little bit, Nathan, about the fact that the Big Ten is like making Ohio State play Penn State, Michigan back-to-back. It is the fact that they didn't play a non-conference game against a top foe like they do every other year. They're going to do Oregon next year. If they had played that game like they had played Oklahoma or USC or Texas or the team Notre Dame, all the types of teams that they normally have scheduled, if they had played one of those games, we would it wouldn't be like this. Mm-hmm. And just the way the schedule broke out, mostly because there's only two teams in this conference that recruit anywhere near their level, and that those two teams are the two teams they have left in the regular season. The talent edge has been so gigantic. Gigantic. And now it's still there, but it's not gigantic. And so... I mean, Steven, Steven is doing a scratch up. He's scratched up. But listen, but 72. But isn't that still gigantic? Yeah, that, that's 72 still. To 50, 72 to 52 compared to when yes, everybody okay. else an is entire, 72 an, to 23. An entire that's both a, sides of the yeah. football is still pretty gigantic. But when it's compared to that Penn State has 52 and Nebraska has right. 23. Okay. Well, that's, so why it was, it, that's why it was 48 to 7 against Nebraska, and it may only be 30-something yeah. to so, right, Something in the I, teens. I see. I see a 14-point game instead of a 21-point game, and, th- and more important, I th- how, what's the the difference? Between, since you did the st- actual stars, what Ohio State has 12 five stars. What are Penn State and Michigan State's? Mich- not Michigan State. Michigan. No, Michigan. I'm sorry. Michigan and Penn State both have five. Five, so five stars. Twelve at Ohio State and ten total between its next no, two opponents. And, and that's not a shock. I, I, I'm surprised that you guys are going that way be- because. I mean, it's it's not to me the difference between Penn State and Ohio State. It's the difference between Penn State and everybody else they have played. Yeah. So when we look, when we think about, when you really think about the numbers that I just rattled off of how much they've won games by, they're beating teams where they have four times as much talent. Now they don't have even they don't have double the talent against Penn State. They have, you know, fifty percent more talent, which right. is still a lot, but I'm just trying to make the point. I think perhaps I think perhaps, and I'm not trying to be nine and three Doug here, I think perhaps there is and this is not an argument against Ohio State hasn't played anybody. Because you only play the t- the teams they played are ranked, and there's a lot of good teams out there that don't have great talent. I think there is perhaps an air of invincibility around this Ohio State team that I think is perhaps puffed up by the fact that the way the schedule has shaken out, they haven't played a team within sniffing distance of their talent. Their talent disparity through 10 games has been like NFL to middle school. For real. For real. Uh, that, okay, that's and that, no, that's no longer the case. And so I'm not saying they're going to lose. I'm I certainly not that. saying that. But this is a real game, and and I think it is 
so much more a real game than even Wisconsin or Michigan State or anybody else. It is five times more a real game. And we just haven't seen it. And I just don't want people to be making paper tiger assumptions or like, of course, Ohio State's going to win by 40 assumptions. Or you can say the thing that you, the, the, what the person told you last night. When, when part of that, I think part of that assumption would be based off the fact that Ohio State has rolled over teams where they've had an, an advantage of 72 to 9. But I do, again. In terms of four star players. But this argument that you're making about the talent disparity is the same argument you could have made last year with Ohio State and Penn State. It's the same argument you could have made in 2017 with Ohio State and Penn State. But there was something in those teams that was flawed in a way that is not flawed with this Ohio State team. I'm talking about, I'm not talking, that talent disparity exists year in and year out. And still, sometimes Ohio State finds a way to lose to less talented teams, to barely beat a less talented Maryland team, you know, to lose at Purdue, to lose at Iowa. This team, they have not faced a challenge like this on their schedule in terms of talent. But it's what I've been telling people in terms of the the the, C, the way the CFP looks at this team, the way that AP voters should be looking at this team, is that you have to look inside the performance and see that they're just burying everyone at a level that very 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 few teams in college football do. Even other really good teams, you know, um, who, who do you want to say is another really good? You know, everyone else has had these close calls. Everyone else has had games against the level of a Wisconsin or, or, or a Michigan State that they haven't been able to just come out and thump somebody. And Ohio State still comes out and completely convincingly wins those games. Um, th- that's what I'm talking about. It's not necessarily what you're saying makes sense in a lot of other years, and it may make sense again as early as next year. What I'm saying is what we've seen over 10 games is that this Ohio State team is just playing at a different level. I think, to the point of the the numbers you just ran off, I think all that tells me is Penn State is talented enough that if there is some hole that we haven't seen in the Ohio State team, they're talented enough to poke it so that a Clemson or an LSU sees it and they can exploit it. But I don't think they're... I, I think Penn State can poke it but not necessarily exploit it. And to your point, Nathan, I think... It's that's about like the, the yeah the talent is like the defensive talent is the exact same defensive talent that it was last year outside of Draymond Jones like every everybody else is back who made an impact for the most part the difference is how it's being used and how it's being harnessed and it's more on the coach that's more of a, a, a applaud to the coaching staff than it is the players because it's the same guys. I also want to clarify if Ohio State wins this game by seventeen points and doesn't cover the spread, that's still a convincing win. You still beat a team like Penn State by 17 yeah. points. That's kind of what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that <clears> realm. I don't know that – I'm not saying they're going to come out and win this game 38-7. to 7. I'm just saying – and I think the starters are going to have to play a full game and play in the fourth quarter. But I don't know if they're going to have to go out and win the game in the fourth quarter. I think they're going to have to just protect a lead or extend a lead by that point of the game. I, 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 that's the kind of – just to clarify, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not, I'm not saying this is going to be a 40-point game. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not, um, I don't, I'm not trying to down talk Ohio State. I think they're probably the best team in the country. I'm not trying to set you up to think that Ohio State's going to lose. I'm not going to pick Ohio State to lose. When we have talked, I think very intelligently, about the Iowa and Purdue losses that keep coming up, and they should come up. Right. The thing that we have talked about is that. Those teams, while mediocre, rose to the occasion on that day with NFL talent. In their own stadium. Okay. And there was a hole. Okay. Noah Fant, 
TJ Hawkinson mm-hmm. um, for Iowa, Rondale Moore for Purdue. Um, has Ohio State played a receiver this season as good as Rondale Moore? No. Probably not, no. Have they played tight ends as dangerous as Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson? That's a little bit tougher. Um, you know, Florida Atlantic's tight end is really good. There have been some other good tight ends on the schedule. I just don't know if they were in offenses that utilized them the way that Penn State may use this guy. They have not played a quarterback who played as well as either David Blau or Nate Stanley played on those days. Now, I'm not saying, like, Nate Stanley and David Blau. Again, Nate Nate Stanley played the best game of his life that day. Nobody thought he was that good. But no quarterback that Ohio State has played this year, like, played the best game of their life. They've played a bunch of crappy quarterbacks who have played like crap. Agreed. Because of Ohio State. (laughs) No, but I agree. But, again, also, like, Iowa had – I mean, Ohio State had good players in 2017. Their defense wasn't a mess that year. And Nate Stanley still threw. Now they did. They had linebacker issues. We're not going to trot all that ground. But the thing I'm trying to say is, especially on the defensive side of the ball, the best offensive player they've played is Jonathan Taylor, right? Obviously. Yeah. And he did nothing, and we knew he was going to do nothing. Because we knew (laughs) those kind of teams, the thing we talked about all Wisconsin week, hey, let's run the ball, we're going to ram it in. No, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It never works. It didn't work. It's never going to work. Sometimes it works. It didn't work. No quarterback threat. No real threats on the perimeter. Jeff Halfley, the Ohio State defensive coordinator, said these are the best receivers that they've faced. They haven't faced anybody. Yeah, so that's not who's tested. Much. Like, if you haven't really faced anybody of any type of talent, you saying, oh, this is the best receiver. That's like, like. No, but so, is, but that's my know, point. Like, I'm, I'm, also not, I'm also not dismissing the, the possibility that. One reason we aren't we don't think that they've played anybody that good is because they have shut them down. Agreed, but I think when we look back, when you look at the Iowa and Purdue losses, they haven't played anybody on in this 10-game schedule who really in the end had a chance to do what Iowa or Purdue did because they don't have any of those dudes. KJ Hamler if he plays isn't as good as Rondale Moore, but he's got a little something. Penn State's receivers aren't great, but they're better than anybody that Ohio State has faced thus far. They don't have a dominant running back, but they've got a couple different dudes. Again, if you look at the story about the recruiting thing I did, there's two top 100 freshman running backs in Ohio State's backfield that Ohio State was after both of them in Penn State's backfield. Devin Ford and Noah Kane. Noah Kane's been hurt. He ran for 100 yards against Purdue and Iowa in back-to-back games earlier this year. I'm just saying, I don't disagree with anything. You called Ohio State's defense the best defense in the country. You just said, Nathan, that it was me pointing at Steven. Yeah. Now me pointing at Nathan. <laughs> Nathan, you just said that you think, well, yeah, the reason that nobody has looked good offensively is because Ohio State's defense is so good. They don't let you go. I think that, and again, I'm not making the argument like from a ranking standpoint that, oh, they don't have them. They haven't played anybody. They shouldn't be ranked. They should be. Most teams suck, is my point. Who has scared them? Who have you been afraid of? The teams, the offensive they have played, the offenses well, they I have played have sucked. And their defense is awesome. And they, can, they are two separate things. Ohio State's defense is awesome. Maybe the best defense in the country. True. The offenses they have played suck. True. Separate points bit related 
I'm not arguing the point that Ohio State's defense is great. I'm arguing the point that I don't think Penn State's offense sucks as bad as all these other offenses they've sucked. So I think we might see something a little different than what we've seen because what we've seen is nobody can score ever. That's but, like you walking into a class of kindergartners and going, I'm the tallest person in the room. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's possible what but you're saying. But if you're still the tallest person in the room, it's like, well... I mean, you're still the tallest person in the that's room. The, you're point. still going to win the basketball game. That's, 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 my, that's my whole point. So, like, it doesn't matter how short everybody else is. You're still taller than everybody in the room. Like, But I don't – You, but you think – This is why I agree with what you're saying to the, to the extent that I – it's why I don't think this is going to be like some 20-something point, you know, uh, runaway blowout. Um, but I also – the other factor here is we're not talking about is Penn State supposedly is really strong defensively, except they've given up like 60 points the last two weeks to Minnesota and Indiana, including in that Indiana game was in their home stadium. And um, if you go, I just did a thing. If you everyone can go to Cleveland.com and Ohio State's been in this position before, playing supposedly the top ranked or the one of the top ranked run defenses in the country. And after those teams play Ohio State, they are no longer very highly ranked because Ohio State still runs all over them. Um, and I think – so we're going to find out this week. Is Penn State really so good that their ranking is legitimate and they, it is going to be difficult for Ohio State? Or is or is Penn State still ranked that high only because they haven't played Ohio State yet as far as their run defense? Do you guys think this will be a game at halftime or will it be over by halftime? Define a game. That you go to halftime, that an Ohio State fan at halftime, as they're reading, um, you know what I like? Smokehouse almonds. I've thought about tweeting about smokehouse almonds, like on multiple, multiple occasions. <laughs> almonds are a good snack for you. They're better than eating like chips or pretzels or something like that. And then this smokehouse, I don't know, it just means it has like a little smoky flavor to it. It gets on your fingers a little bit. I eat 400 smokehouse almonds a day. Now, I don't know that that's how you're supposed to do it. I feel like you're not supposed to eat 400 smoke. You're probably supposed to eat like 20, but I got four bags. My wife got them for me. Four giant bags at Costco, and I'm working my way through the second bag. They are so good. Eating 400 almonds a day equates to spending how many of your waking hours on a toilet? Oh, I spend most do, of my waking hours in a toilet regardless. And do you, like, like, like I've always thought the hack is you want to sit backwards and just put the laptop up on the tank, and then you can still get work where done. Is this hap- where is this going? <laughs> I've wanted to talk about Smokehouse Almonds for a while. <laughs> like, where is this, like, I'm trying to figure, is this an analogy, or are we just talking just about think, almonds? I want, I can't remember what I was talking about. <laughs> See? I just really want people to try Smokehouse Almonds because... You snack, you know, you, you just, you're sitting around the house, you're, you're throwing carbs in your body. Would you still and, recommend them for people who have taste buds and realize that almonds taste like little wood chips? No, but you smokehouse them. When you, that's the smokehouse part. I'm not saying eat plain almonds. Only a, a squirrel would eat a plain almond. But you smokehouse it, it tastes like beef jerky. It's like a beef jerky almond. It's very good. All right. You'll have to bring some in. For the class. I might have to rewind. Oh, I have I have three giant bags. I can bring them in. Oh, we can have a smokehouse almond challenge. We'll see if I can <laughs> well, eat 400 smokehouse almonds. I think you've already won that. In the course of a podcast. What was I saying? We were talking about... Should I rewind it and go back? Uh, honestly, I don't know. I oh, you we asked, to... you, I asked, you asked, is this going to be a game at halftime? Oh, I uh, said, when they go get what, define what a game is. That an Ohio State fan at halftime is not 100% sure that Ohio State's going to win. I think what the a... hell did that have to do with almonds? No, I was thinking at <laughs> halftime... 
as you're going to get your halftime snack, and somehow, which might be a smokehouse almond. And somehow you went on a rant about so, smokehouse almonds. Do I think it could be 17 to 9 at halftime? That's that, I'm, yeah. I'll, or, I'll put that out there. I mean, yeah, but, that's but like, even in a way, what if it, it could be... It could be twenty one to ten. I think in all seriousness, and like I think it's gonna be fourteen to seven at halftime. See, cause okay, so I will say Okay, so you then you guys think they're gonna blow them out in the second half? Is that your I, I think I, if it's seventeen to nine at halftime, then you can get to a score like thirty three to fourteen. I think what it is okay, let me not put exact numbers on it because people could come back to this and be like, see, it's not four, two, seven at halftime. I think Friday, it's Friday. We'll do our picks on yeah. Friday on our YouTube channel. I think it's going to be a set a w- touchdown lead at halftime, and then Ohio State is gonna have a little that a quarter where it does what it's done in a, in a quarter every single game where they get the score stop score opportunities. Uh, one, I don't think Penn State can score at the level that Ohio State can score at the keep up, but more importantly, I think Ohio State's defense is good enough to stop Penn State multiple times in a row and create scoring opportunities for its offense. I think Blake, Blake Hobbill might have to be a little busier on Saturday. I think um, Ohio State may give up a couple more field goals in real time, you know, early in the game than it usually does. But ultimately, I again, I still see a a disparity here that, that Penn State's not going to be able to overcome. What you wrote about Sean Clifford um, on Wednesday morning, Stephen, he's a Cincinnati kid who is a Penn State starting quarterback. Um, I, I know it's not like we all sat around and watched five games of Sean Clifford playing, um, but when you run down again... When you run down the quarterbacks that Ohio State has faced this year, whoever played for Florida Atlantic, the Cincinnati guy, Peyton Ramsey played for Indiana because Michael Penix was out. Peyton Ramsey has actually played pretty well. Penix is out for the year now. Um, he's played pretty well for Indiana for most of this season, but again, he's he's a backup. He got he lost his job to a freshman. Yeah. Um, Taylor Martinez looked like a crazy person who was afraid to play football against Ohio State because they Martinez. did that to him. Who did I say? Taylor. What's it, what did I say? You said Taylor. It's his Adrian. Name, Adrian. Yes. Taylor Martinez played quarterback for them like five years ago. So Taylor more. Martinez reminded me of Tate Martell. Michigan State, Brian Lewerke, he's nothing more than average. Northwestern has no quarterback. Jack Cohn is not a threat for Wisconsin. And Maryland and Rutgers don't have quarterbacks. Sean Clifford, I think, is the best quarterback that Ohio State has faced so far. Yeah. He's not great. He's young. I think he might be good. Do you do you have any belief that like he's going to make a couple plays? And I don't want to like steal the thunder from our interview, um, but I think as you'll hear from our friend Bob Flanders, I think he he at times it sounds like he plays young a little bit. Mm-hmm. Can't he do something? I I think there is a scenario where like Penn State gets the ball first. Jeff Halfley talks a lot about like not giving up big plays, and Ohio State has done a really good job of not giving up. Chunk, big chunks of yardage. I think maybe, yeah, there's a scenario where the first possession of the game, Penn State has the ball, and they're able to, you know, execute a big play, and it's a touchdown. You see a little bit of emotion for Sean Clifford because he's playing his home school, and Penn State has a 7 to nothing lead when Ohio State takes the field. Sure, that I, that scenario make, that's realistically could happen. Or what I think is more realistic is – Ohio State's defense does what it's been doing all season. And it gives up some points. because Against awful quarterbacks. But, okay, fine. So it gives up some more points. Uh, they, give up, they give up more than 10 points instead of the second stringers being the guys who are giving up all these points. Fine. But eventually, Ohio State is going to get enough stops against a young quarterback who's in his first year as a starter. 
over his past four games, I don't have the stats right in front of me. I was trying to find them. But over his past four games, which is Michigan, Michigan State, Minnesota, and Indiana, Clifford has completed, I think, 54% of his passes, and that included a three-interception game against Minnesota. I don't, I, that's not special. Yeah, and he's only at 59% for the season. I know no, 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 some of those defenses are pretty good. None of those defenses are Ohio State. You have to, If you're going to be a quarterback that comes in and beats Ohio State, um, and, and all bets are off, obviously, if Hamler's injured at all, if, even, even if he's not at full strength, I think that compromises it enough. But if even Well, I if, think he's in concussion protocol, right? Right. So, yeah. like, I don't... I think he either like plays or he doesn't play. Right, but is he practicing? Is he like what? What? What condition uh, he is he? Practice. What condition will he be in for that game? I'm just saying, even with Hamler out there, if you've got a quarterback who um, is that inaccurate against defenses of that level, and now you're going into Ohio Stadium and playing against Chase Young, who happens to be pretty probably keyed up to go out and literally rip someone in half on Saturday. Um, that just I, I I don't this doesn't equate to me as a a quarterback who's going to be able to withstand what what Ohio State can bring defensively. He's had to, two, to the level to the level that you would have a chance to win this game. He's had two games this year where he's been less than fifty percent. There was Indiana, but he also did it against Pitt, and he's only been above sixty percent three times this season. So like it's not like he's this is a pocket passer who's not that accurate going up against a defense who has taught, caused turnovers. And they play a lot of zone, so they're going to be sitting there waiting on a lot of these these interceptions. I, I think he has some running ability, but it's not. We're not talking about Justin Fields here. Nah. Yeah. My whole body is snot. I'm just filled with it. We used to joke in this podcast before you guys came. I just there was a time when I coughed on like yeah, uh, you did that a lot last fifty six straight podcasts. Um, I was feeling pretty good for a while, and now I'm dying again. All right. That my point in conclusion, and we're going to take a quick break and then come back um, with Bob Flounders from Penn Live, and then we'll come back after that with all your questions from our loyal tech subscribers. Um, the question was about: Is Penn State a paper tiger? I think most of the first ten teams on the schedule for Ohio State have been paper tigers. Paper tigers, and so the paper tigers schedule. Well, some I of think, them weren't I even think, paper tigers. Some of them we knew weren't any good. What do you call a? That's a paper. Miami of Ohio wasn't a paper tiger. Although Miami of Ohio is they're, like beating teams. Yeah, they're, they're bull. I think everybody on Ohio State's schedule is bull eligible. No, that's not true. Um, eh. I, that's 100% not true. What, you think Nebraska has six North wins? Western has Northwestern has one year. win. <laughs> All right, we'll be back on Buckeye You're Talk. right. I forgot they played Northwestern on a Friday night. <laughs> Joined on Buckeye Talk by the great. Bob Flounders of PennLive.com, the finest outlet in the land for Penn State football coverage. Bob and I go way back. We've mentioned on this podcast before. He is the man that drove me home when I got drunk the night I turned 21. Bob, great to have you back. It's great. It's great to be back, and that's a, that's a story that I've shared with a lot of people as you've as you've grown into this very impressive uh, writing person. I'm just like, you know what? You're not going to believe this about Doug. There was a time in the mid-90s where I literally probably held the fate of his, his future in my hands, and I, and I managed to get him home safely, and I just, I, just like, I just like to be on the record with saying that, you know, things could have gone way differently for you, Doug, if I wasn't there for you on your big night. Oh, yeah. That's my uh, sliding door right there, Flounders, is you, like, leave, leave me in a gutter, and uh, who yep. knows where I go from there. So always Parallel appreciate universe. it. Yeah, parallel universe. Who knows? But everything's everything's uh, everything's looking good. So let's talk about this game. 
So, Bob, I'm, I want to backtrack a little bit with Penn State for our Ohio State yeah. audience here. When Penn State was number four in the playoff rankings before yeah. the Minnesota loss, were you surprised by that? Did you feel like, yes, this Penn State team should be the number four team in the country? Or did you, or did you think, no, 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 they're not that good? Well, you know, this Penn State team is uh, – it's been an interesting team to watch this year. Um, at the start of the year, I, I thought they would be nine and three. Uh, I, I thought they, I thought that Sean Clifford was was the right guy to be the quarterback. I thought he was better than Tommy Stevens, but you just, you know, you're, you're replacing Miles Sanders with young running backs. You know, you're replacing the all-time wins leader in Chase McStorley. You know, they, they definitely had some holes to fill. You know, you look at the schedule. They, you know, Michigan's. Everyone thinks Michigan's going to be pretty good. They got to, they got to play at Iowa. So. And they and, and then they start to get on a nice little roll. They they commit to playing a lot of young players. The re- Franklin's recruited pretty well the last three years. Uh, he's reaping the rewards of that of that fertile uh, of that of that su- success. And, and things are looking really good. Um, but they they you know Doug, honestly, um, I thought at the time when they were ranked fourth, based on who they played and how they had played, I thought that was about right. I, I didn't. I, I thought they were deserving. You know, it's not easy to win at Iowa, as Ohio State fans know. Um, but you know, it was it was funny. You look you look at what Penn State did in the whiteout game against Michigan, and you see the final score, and it's twenty eight twenty one. But it was really two different games. Penn State was really good in the first twenty minutes of that game. They were, they, they jumped all over Har- Harbaugh's team twenty one nothing, and I thought I thought it was going to be you know I thought it was going to be a four touchdown five touchdown win, and you know. It was a struggle for them. Michigan was probably the better team in the second half on the road. They their run defense got gouged. Uh, you know they had to make a goal line stand. I thought you know and Michigan I think has played much better since the you know the first quarter of that game. And Penn State I don't know if it's because they played a lot of tough games in a row. I think they were tough, but the, it's been a real struggle. Um, the Minnesota result was not that shocking to me because I had seen that they had had problems on pass defense. They were starting to surface a little bit. Uh, a little bit more regularly. I didn't think they matched up too well with Minnesota's offense. <clears throat> and they shot themselves in the foot early in the game, right? And they're coming back. They could have easily won the game late. They just made too many mistakes. Um, and then last week against Indiana, you know, Indiana played them off their feet. That was really a very competitive game in the second half. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, what. so what's happened? Has the league caught up to – to Penn State have have some of their players hit the wall, and I think it's a little bit of all of that. I think I think they're they're dragging a little because they played a pretty tough schedule, a pretty tough October. I think some of their players who I thought would get better as the season progressed have they really haven't. They've kind of just kind of they've hit a little low. They still have some very good players, but I just don't think they have enough good players, enough of them to be considered a top five, top six team. And I think it's probably going to show it's going to, it's probably going to show up Saturday in Columbus. I really do. I believe that. So I, I know there had been concerns about the Penn State secondary that that seemed to show up against Minnesota. When you look at Justin Fields, um, yes. Ohio, Ohio State's receivers are good. They're not spectacular. Um, right. Do you imagine Penn State having some trouble with this Ohio State passing game? The Buckeyes have been trying to take some mm-hmm. deep shots the last couple of games to work on that part of it. Will that be an issue? Yes, it will be. And early in the season, <clears throat> when Penn State was playing very good defense, 
Um, they were playing teams and they were able to shut down their running games. You know, but Pittsburgh is in Ohio State. You know, Iowa is in Ohio State. They were able to they were able to shut teams uh, down relatively easily on the ground. But when it got to third and long, they would make stupid mistakes. They would either take holding penalties or pass interference penalties, or it'd be third and eighteen, and the other team would throw a predictable screen and they would get twenty yards out of it. And that was the issue. And I, I looked at that and said, man. When they just – they're doing the hard part well. When they just tighten it up and they figure out what they, what they need to do, this team is going to be a bear on defense on third down. But instead, the corners just have not gotten better. John Reed is a small player. He's not a very big corner. Uh, Tariq, Tariq Castro-Fields has ability. But what, what I'm seeing from them is on, on the pass defense end, um, they don't react very well to the ball in the air. That's very troubling. John Reed struggles against bigger wideouts. Um, that was the case in 2000, 2016 before he got hurt. He struggled in the Iowa game late. A big receiver made a play that he should have never made right over him, and John didn't aggressively go after the ball. And now, on top of all that, they're not good corners. They're not quite as athletic as, as Ohio State's corners for sure. They have freshmen playing behind them at corner. Um, and their safeties, uh, both their safeties are converted up players. Lamont Wade was a corner, but it was too short, not the greatest in coverage. He's much better against the run. He's kind of got a home at safety, but he's still short, right? Um, Garrett Taylor converted corner, couldn't cut it at corner. They moved him to safety, looked okay early, but, you know, these guys do not. This is the problem that I think that they, they had it against Minneapolis, or Minnesota, excuse me, and I think it's going to be even worse against Ohio State. They don't track the ball well, number one. They do not tackle well in space. When a, play, when a player um, gets in space against Penn State, it, it, they, they, they went from being a very short tackling team. Now they're missing tackles way too frequently. And I just think with Ohio State's offense and the threat of the run, the threat of the quarterback run, and their athletes. I just don't. If you're Penn State and you got to pick your poison, I don't, Doug. I don't know what. I don't know what that poison is that you try and take away from Ohio State because when they do that, I just think that Ohio State can beat them too many different ways with their offense and their secondary. I just think has not developed the way that I thought it would. I think they had they had good corners at the start of the season, but I did not see them improve. You know, here in November, I don't know if they're they're a little beat up. I don't know if they played too many snaps, and they have true freshmen behind them. I just think, I think that I think Ohio State's got them on tilt a little bit because they could run the ball. You got to defend the quarterback run. You know, Minnesota absolutely does killed them with RPOs. They were able okay. to stay on schedule. They, they they just killed them. Um, the quarterback was eighteen for twenty. Penn State bit hard on the run. And these guys, you know, an RPO, it was just one receiver, and he was just running wide open, whoever it was, whether it was, whether it was uh, Rashad Bateman or Tyler Johnson, whoever it was. Well, not only was he open, he was wide open, and Penn State didn't tackle well. They did not. They did not defend the RPO very well on the road against the Gophers, and this is a much more terrifying version of an athletic RPO. I just think – I think Penn State does some things really well. I just really worry about the matchup when Ohio State gets them with Justin and they got, they got the threat of the run or the pass. I think as the game goes on, you're going to see Ohio State gas them. 
Last question about the Penn State defense. How much of a of a game changer is is Micah Parsons? How how much can he will he be a factor in this game? Do you think he's a guy yeah, he, obviously that he, Ohio State fans remember from recruiting? Sure, sure. He's their best defender. I thought I thought for sure. And this is this goes back to what I was telling telling you about the Penn State defense. I thought for sure Etor Gross Matos was going to take yet another step after his twenty tackle for loss season, get a little bit stronger. You know, yes, they're going to probably double team him, but that's what that's life in the big city when you're a good player. Chase Young's got to deal with it. You know, AJ Epinesa has got to deal with it. Either you're good enough or you're not. And he's been he's been kind of just good. He hasn't he hasn't taken the next step. Um, and, and that's been troubling. Micah Parsons, you know, in a, still in a little bit of a new position, and they're real. They're sticklers at Penn State for fundamentals and reading keys. And there's, you know, don't. It's not just go get the ball. You gotta, you gotta do all that. He's, he's playing. He's playing much faster. Um, he's an incredible physical specimen. Um, I think that he actually can do more for them, but they're not letting him do that. I think they need to turn him loose more as a blitzer. And as a stand-up rush man off the edge, he's starting to do more with that. But I just think they're so they just want, they're asking him to play linebacker and do some, do some things in coverage, and you know show up versus the run. He is definitely their best defensive player. I think he's starting to get better each game. He was good against Indiana. Um, he and Cam Brown are two very athletic, rangy linebackers that they're going to have uh, a lot on their plate against this Ohio State offense. Micah is clearly their best player, and I do think he is the one guy on that defense that's capable of producing a momentum-turning play, um, even on the road in Columbus. And I think Penn State, if they're going to be able to stay in this game, their defense, you know, Doug, in this game, you know, it's hard to play great defense because of the spread and the ball's coming out quick. And you know the, the the routes and and the rules, but you have to be able to get stops, or you have to do what Chase Young did last year at Penn State and come up and make that play on the fourth down run. Uh, Mike is a, a Micah is a player who can do that. I think Penn State's got to come up with four or five of those plays to kind of stay in the game with Ohio State. I don't know. I think maybe they can get one or two. I just don't know if they can get enough. On the offensive side of the ball. Um... You know, Ohio State has not faced Minnesota, has not faced Tanner Morgan and those Minnesota receivers. So Jeff Halfley, Ohio State's defensive coordinator on Tuesday, said that Penn State, this is the best receiver group that Ohio State will have faced so far. Um, Can how does Sean Clifford take advantage of some of the talent at wideout for Penn State? And and can. You know, Bob, I mean, we know this in the Big Ten. I mean, we've all written about it over the years. I mean, there's this is not a quarterback league. This is not yeah. a, tre- a Trevor Lawrence, Jalen Hurts, Tua Tonga-Vailoa kind of league. This is not what not what happens here. So great defenses in this league can go mm-hmm. through big chunks of the season without getting really tested by a passing game. How much can this Penn State passing game test a really good Ohio State secondary that really hasn't played a good quarterback and good receiver so far? Right, I think that's a, that's a great point, Doug. And Penn State, really, I'm, I am not, I am not a Nate Stanley fan. I I would argue that until they played the Minnesota, the Golden Gophers, and Morgan, I like Morgan. He's he's things have to go a certain way for him, and he's got to be he's got to play ahead of schedule or on schedule. If he gets in third long, there's issues there. But they didn't. I don't think Penn State really played a, a really terrific quarterback or even an above average quarterback 
until they got to Minneapolis and they, they kind of, I think they were, they were a little bit, I think they were a little bit full of themselves. And I think that, uh, I think it caught up with them, but that's not really what you asked me. So I, I don't necessarily, the thing about Penn state's passing game is a lot of it is smoke and mirrors. If you're going to call it a good passing game, you have to include the tight end, Pat Fryermuth. He is legit, by really a legit player. A two, he can play the all-around game. He's big enough. He actually shows up in the blocking as a blocker. He's very athletic for someone who's almost 260 pounds. He can he can go down the seam. He can break tackles. He can also kind of run by some people. He did that against Michigan. But the problem with Penn State's passing game is twofold. K.J. Hamler is no lock to play. He didn't play the last three quarters of the Indiana game. He returned a kick, got dinged in the head, went to the injury tent. And James is hopeful, but I don't know what hopeful means anymore when you ask somebody about uh, injuries. He's got to get cleared. If he does not play, Penn State's cooked. Um, you saw what he did last year with that 93-yard catching run. He's legit. Yep. And he can, in, in the open field, he's a handful for anyone. He just is. One of the problems with Penn State's offense this year has been they have, no, they have, they were, they have not been able, in their three-receiver spread with Friar Muth on the field, a third receiver has not developed. So it's been KJ in the slot. It's been Pat Friar Muth. Jahan Dotson's a nice player. But two years ago, in their, in their class that had Micah Parsons and Ricky Slade, both five stars, Penn State landed Justin Shorter out of New Jersey that a lot of people thought might have been the best wideout talent in that class. And if you look at Justin Shorter, he looks like he could play in the NFL right now. He's, you know, 230, 6'4", no body fat, just looks chiseled. But it has not translated, unfortunately, to the playing field. He, he hurt himself last year early. They redshirted him. This year, the expectation was he was, he was ready. He was good to go you know, more comfortable with Clifford. Uh, and he had a nice little game there against Idaho, but Idaho is not, you know, that is not really representative defense. He has, I, he's definitely pressing now. Um, he's been bumped from the first team. They're going with a former walk-on named Danch Center as the third wideout in the spread. They don't have a big wideout in this offense that can, they can throw, you know, the, they can throw the 50-50 ball that the, Chris Godwin would make that catch in 2015 or 2016, they don't have a guy that can track the ball in the air, and if the, the coverage is tight, he can go up and get it. Allen Robinson did that for Bill O'Brien. Chris Godwin did that for did that for Moorhead, and also in 2015 for James Franklin. They don't have that guy. Justin Shorter had two gigantic drop passes in the Minnesota game early, and he also failed to break up a deep ball. That could have been – it was intercepted. He should have deflected it, and Penn State should have retained possession. He's not aggressive when the ball's in the air. I think Clifford and the coaches have lost confidence in him. I think Penn State's passing game is way, way too reliant on Hamler and Fryermuth. And if I'm sure Ohio State sees it on film, too. Um, they're going to put number one on whoever they want to, and he's probably going to take that guy out of the game. Um, I don't know if he can handle Hamler in the slot. Maybe he's, he maybe he can play in the slot, but I, I think Penn State's passing game is a bit overrated at this stage. They just haven't developed the third wideout, a big wideout, to kind of take some of the pressure off Hamler and Fryermuth. All right, Bob. So I'm uh, we did a bunch of videos today at, at Cleveland.com, and yeah, and I I just I am not at all playing the card of like Ohio State hasn't played anybody, but. Um, Ohio yeah. State is really good. Ohio State might be the best team 
the best Ohio State yeah. team that I've covered in 15 years. But still, yeah. this is this Penn State team is the most athletic team that Ohio State has played so far. Yeah. Because Correct. it's not Michigan State. It's not Wisconsin. Right. It's not Indiana yeah. or Cincinnati. And I do think the idea that Penn State, there are guys on this Penn State team who have played right to the wire with Ohio State for the yeah. past three years. Mm-hmm. These Penn State guys know they can hang on the field with the Buckeyes. I remember in 2016 when Ohio State was was coming to State College and I was tempted yeah. to pick Penn State. To yeah, win. I remember you told me that. Yeah, Your friend and mine, Dave Jones, kind of talked me out of it. Um, I just think that Penn State has been in some tight games. I think Ohio yeah. State's not been tested. Ohio State's better. I'm not going to pick Penn State to win, but I am right. certainly kind of expecting Penn State to give Ohio State a run in this one. You've laid mm-hmm. out a, a pretty strong case for why that may not happen, but when you look at the way the last three years have unfolded, yes, is it does any of that factor into your thinking, or do you just look at a Penn State team, this team, just as a little short on talent and experience? Mm-hmm. No Saquon Barkley, no Trace McSorley. They don't have the receivers like some past years teams. Do the past three years not matter because this Penn State team isn't as good, or do you think they could stir up some kind of belief and and find a way to make this close? I think they can find a way to make it close, um, but I just I'm a little worried. You know, I think in college, I think in football and in a lot of sports, I think there is there is something to be said for when a team peaks, when it hits its stride. Um, in 2014, you know, Urban's team, it hit its stride at the right time. The offensive line gelled. You know, the, I, even though Penn State took them to double overtime, they, they were playing so much better um, later that year. It didn't even matter who was the quarterback. I My sense is that Penn State was so invested in the middle part of its schedule and, you know, the, the whiteout against Michigan and, trying to win at Kinnick Stadium and you know Franklin's well I'm sure he is well aware of Penn State's just not very good on the road against ranked teams it's it's a it's a thing James reads all that stuff uh I I if you if you're gonna say that yes Ohio State really hasn't been challenged yet I just you know I just look at them athletically um and and I see a team that I I I think that Ohio State um their best football might be ahead of them. I've seen some things where they really – Dobbins really hasn't played much in the second half. They've, they've, they're a deep team. They've got corners who can cover. Chase Young is back. Um, Penn State, yes. Can Penn State give them a game and be in the game in the fourth quarter? Yes, they can. But they, they're going – I just – I look at the matchup and I just wonder, you know, has, has, has Penn State's rush defense really seen an attack like Ohio State's? In the second half of the Michigan game, Michigan ran the ball on them. They and and Penn State knew it was coming. They were very deliberate on offense, but they the Charbonnet kid looked great. Um, the the backup, who's I think his name is Haskins, he did he made some plays. The quarterback was mobile in the pocket. Um, they were able to they're able to do some things on third down. I I think I think the home field advantage number one, and also Penn State secondary really really concerns me in this game just because I don't think they're playing very well. And I think I just think that Ohio State's athletes in space are going to be a problem um, if they can get you know into the into the secondary. And like I said, I, the RPO that that uh, plays that Minnesota ran just thoroughly bamboozled Penn State. They just really had no answer. 
You know, Minnesota only stopped scoring because they kind of tried to take the air out of the ball. They when they when they wanted to throw the ball uh, or when they wanted to run the RPO, they did it. Um, I'm I'm really fascinated by this game. I just think that Penn State Penn State um, is going to have to uh, do some things that they haven't done. You know, uh, you know this season they're going to have they're going to have to make some plays in the fourth quarter. They're going to have to run the ball a little bit. Um, and I, I, you know, that I just don't know um, if Ham. I'm really, you know, if Hamler isn't 100 percent, Doug, it's, it's, it's a completely different uh, Penn State offense. Yeah, I was I thought the line would be 17 for this game just because it's Ohio State and it's in the shoe. I just don't know. I don't know what the last two years mean for this Penn State team. You know, the 2017 game was really a tale of, you know, it was, you know, Saquon Barkley gets the kick to start the game. Uh, Ohio State didn't play well in the first half on offense. They turned the ball over uncharacteristically. But in the fourth quarter, when it really mattered, I mean, they were clearly the better team. It was the, the fourth quarter alone. It was, it was Penn State just couldn't do anything. And, and last year's game, uh, I think Penn State absolutely left Ohio State off the hook. I just think that, you know, you just wonder, having blown two double-digit leads in the fourth quarter, home and away, does that say more about Penn State or does that say more about Ohio State knows that no matter what happens against Penn State, they can come back even in a worst-case scenario? I, I think – I think this is probably a 10 to 17 point game for Ohio State, given given where it's at. Penn State is an athletic team. I just don't know when you talk about depth and when you talk about some other things, Hamler's health. Um, and th- there's one other thing just to look for. Sean Clifford is an Ohio kid, um, and he gets himself. He's a very competitive kid, a fiery kid. He gets himself so worked up at the start of games. Um, it takes him a while to calm down. I don't. I don't think Penn State can afford any giveaway possessions early in this game against Ohio State. I know that Ohio State does a lot of damage, Doug, in the second quarter of games once some adjustments are made and and they they can kind of see what they need to do against the team. But Penn State, you know, the last two games, uh, they they hadn't given up a touchdown in the first quarter up until the Minnesota game. They gave up two to Minnesota. They gave up two very easy touchdowns to Indiana. I'm not. I, I'm wondering. I'm wondering if Penn State maybe peaked a little bit too early. I do think. I do think that that they're going to come to play and they're going to play a good game. I just don't know if they have the horses to stay with this Ohio State team. And I just I worry from the Penn State side if they have the secondary to stay with Ohio State's athletes for four quarters. I just think that. I think Dobbins is legit. Obviously, I think Fields obviously is a guy that can really impact the game. Uh, as a runner and as a thrower, and um, I, I've, I've heard a lot about the Ohio State defense this year being much improved and better coordinated than in previous years, but I really haven't had a chance to watch that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the first 30 minutes of this game, but I just think Ohio State is so comfortable in the fourth quarter because of the last two years. I just don't think you know, I, I wonder. I wonder if that says more about Ohio State or Penn State. You can say, yeah, well, they've taken them to the, they've taken them to the final minutes the last two years and played them tougher than anyone else, but they haven't closed the deal. And I just, I, I, I felt like in both those games that Penn State didn't necessarily get Ohio State's A game until the fourth quarter. So what happens if Ohio State starts that? 
Yeah, I mean, it's funny how you can take it either way. And and in 2016, Ohio State had a lead in in yes. state college and blew that lead, and and Penn State got them that year. So um, yeah, which obviously then and that obviously was the win that sort of propelled the James Franklin era. Um, yes. It's interesting to look at. We're just so used to when you cover Ohio State, you're just so used to teams coming in and just yeah. getting in their own way. Cincinnati, Cincinnati might go to a playoff bowl um, I know. as the I know. best, and and they were just not ready in any shape or fashion to come in here and even compete against Ohio State. They go, they right. they couldn't get out of their own way. Penn State again, they've been close, and and I guess I take it more as if you've been close with Ohio State, that should give you confidence more than the idea right. of hey, you blew two fourth quarter leads because so many teams are just like psyched out to play the Buckeyes that they never have a Correct. chance. Yeah. Um and two, I was, ahead, I was just gonna I was just gonna say the other thing that I just. I just want to watch. I just think that because of the way things have played out, I think Sean Clifford and Fields are going to be tied for the rest of their college careers together because I would argue that Sean Clifford is Penn State's starting quarterback right now because Justin Fields is not, if you know what I mean. It was, it was, it was obviously a, a decision that Justin Fields made. Uh, I, read, I saw the story on Cleveland.com about his recruitment in Penn State and Moorhead and all that, but it just fun, it's funny how things kind of – kind of work out that Justin Fields was a, was a kid I think Penn State felt good about getting um, I know they like Clifford too but Fields is I think uh, a different kind of athlete uh, although Clifford is an underrated athlete he, I just don't think he's <laughs> I don't think he's quite the athlete that Fields is and for the rest of their college careers I think they're tied together and I'll be, I'm going to be fascinated to see how both of them develop and I'm always going to wonder about uh, what might have been with Fields and Penn State. And so there, there's two big picture questions I want to ask you about, Bob, before I let you go. And one of them is that yep. Justin Fields question. I mean, in my 15 years of covering this, you know, Daryl Clark was a really good quarterback for Penn State and, and Matt mm-hmm. McGloin and uh, um, God, I'm trying to, you know, Trace McSorley obviously was a great player yeah. for Penn State. But but Penn State didn't get Terrell Pryor. Penn State mm-hmm. didn't wind up with Justin Fields. Both those guys right. end up at Ohio State. A just how much of a game changer would it have been for James Franklin and Penn State to have an, a quarterback with this level of talent? And were you shocked when he decommitted, or did you kind of wonder, like, ah, I don't know if they'll be able to make this happen with the kid from Georgia? Well, I knew that they offered him early and they identified him early. They're really good at that. They're good at kind of kind of getting the jump on some other programs, but other programs that are more established and are used to getting five-star kids you know, when a kid's a three or a four star, they're not they're not really on their radar until they get to see him and they and you know their junior year begins to kind of materialize and they do some things at camp. I, I give Penn State credit for getting on him early, but the, the verbal came so early that whenever that happens and it's a kid that you know State College Georgia, you know it's just it's 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 hard to get a kid I think from the South as talented as Fields to Penn State. And when you throw in the fact that one of the big things that the kid really liked about Penn State was Joe Moorhead's imagination and his, the way that he used his quarterback, and you're not sure that he's going to be there when you're going to be there. I think I think the stage was set for it to be a very, very um, tasking uh, recruitment of him to get him to sign. And had he signed, I mean, you know, I just I just look at him and I, I mean he would have he would have had to compete with Trace for sure but I, I, there's not much question in my mind 
that he would have been the starting quarterback this year. And I think they would be unbeaten for sure going into this game. I think that he would have been a difference maker, excuse me, against Minnesota. Clifford had them. It was one offensive pass interference call that was debatable. One play away from, you know, taking, taking, regaining that lead with, you know, a minute to go in that game or whatever it was. Now the call, there was obviously offensive pass interference on the play, but there's been there's there's instances where you just don't call it because I, I don't know that it really impacted it. I I just think that you know Sean was worked up early in that game. He missed some throws. He bounced some throws. Two keyed up. I I just think that I think if the field's the quarterback, they're unbeaten. And I think I, I don't know who the quarterback at Penn at Ohio State is. Maybe it's Joe Burrow. I don't know who. I, maybe it's Kate Martell. I don't know who the quarterback is. But the line's not 17. The line is probably, I don't know. I think that Fields is such a talented kid. I think the line's probably closer to seven. Yeah. And it's a one-possession game. Yeah, no, I think I agree. Um, All right, final big-picture question. And and if you don't want to dance in this arena too much, that's fine. But it's it's interesting from here in Ohio – when you you see things thrown out like, hey, maybe James Franklin would be a candidate for the USC <laughs> job or, or something like yeah. that. What, what is the thought process there? What not to legitimize anything, yeah. but like what what is the scenario or what is in place that would lead people to even consider something like that? Because to me, James Franklin has had a lot of success at Penn State and. Penn State's yeah. a great job, so like, what, like, what would be up with something like that? Yeah, and you, you gotta, you gotta also look at it this way, Doug. He, he, he's still a relatively, relatively young coach. He's not fifty yet, but you go to US, say that you go to USC. It's, I don't know if you would call it a rebuild, but it'd be pretty close, and it would take an investment of time, and it would take a couple of years, and it, I mean, maybe three or four years from now, it's easier for James Franklin to get to the national playoff at USC if everything goes that well and he's able to recruit the crap out of California and Texas and you know he takes he takes Jawan Sider with him and he still keeps you know connections his connections in Florida maybe all that happens but it's still you still kind of have to start over you still kind of have to you know you have to get used to life on the West Coast I, I think that also is a factor I will say this it's been an interesting year. Uh, covering James uh, from my point of view uh, this season. Uh, I don't know what's going on, uh, but I, I, I think, and I'm not the only one on the beat that kind of sees this. I, I really get a strong sense that James feels a little bit underappreciated at Penn State with what he's been able to do with where he's taken the program from when he took it over in 2014, still dealing with sanctions, you know, not having a lot of four or any four or five stars, um, getting them to a Big Ten title, uh, on, you know, on his in his third year, you know, winning, going 11 and two in 2017, getting to the Fiesta Bowl. Um, I I just think I, I have a sense that um, that that is very much on James's mind. Is what do I have to do to win over? this entire fan base and get maybe more. He's a very positive guy. That's not an act. He, 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 he's, he, he's, he's an emotional guy. He's, he's very much into relationships. And I, I just wonder if he's starting to think, well, Hey, I'm, I'm in, I'm in my sixth year. <laughs> we were, 
we were eight and zero, and I was still, you know, getting crap about the way the game, the Michigan game played out. Like, what's going on there? And I think the other elephant in the room, honestly, is, you know, do I really want to bang heads with Ohio State to try and get to the playoff every year? Because they clearly, not only are they clearly recruiting well, it would seem to me like the transition from Urban uh, to Ryan has gone extremely well. I mean, we'll ha- I, I, we'll have to wait a couple of years just to see how he continues to recruit, but uh, it's not, it's not really lost on, on James that, you know, the top kid in Pennsylvania picked Ohio state over, uh, over Penn state, Julian Fleming, the wideout. Um, and that's a position they very much can fortify. And he, you know, and then he comes out and says, you know, I want to get to the league. They develop players that get to the league um, and they, they play in big games. And I think, I think all of that is, you know, if, if, Eventually, if James is gonna is gonna move on from Penn State, when is he gonna do it? Is he gonna strike? Is he gonna strike when the when the when the iron's hot, or is is he gonna wait a couple more years? I mean, I think all of that. Um, I I think he's still a Penn State guy, but I think that this is the first season uh, where you know he's kind of taking a look around and he's kind of just looking at the big picture and he's trying to figure out what do I have to do? How many wins are enough to satisfy? maybe the Penn state fan base and expectations and the media, because he definitely has been um, a little bit more sensitive to second guessing, whether it's the media or, you know, he's talked about getting some nasty letters and getting some nasty correspondence, nasty emails from fans. I think he does feel it. And after six years, I I think he's kind of trying to take stock of what he wants to do for the next 10 years of his life. Is it going to be at Penn state or, you know, there's going to be some jobs that come open and maybe I'll go someplace where it's not, you know, it's not, you know, state college is not for everyone. It's, 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 it's a small area. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's cold in the winter. I mean, all of that. Um, where does the family want to go? I just think that if, if not USC, it could be someplace else. I think Penn State is a top 10 job. I really do with facilities and tradition. And he is absolutely a, just a tremendous recruiter. But I, I, this is the first year I've noticed. I, I just feel like there's a little bit of di- it. This is my read. A little bit of dissatisfaction in the way that maybe the way that he is being perceived. And I, I just, I just wonder at what point does he take a look around and say, "Man, is this, is this what I want? Is this the place for me? Is this where I want to be?" Man, that is that is a fascinating read, Bob. Um, I'm glad I asked you that question. That was really good. Bobby Flounders, man, we love you. We'll look forward to seeing you in Columbus. And, uh, and thanks, as always, for taking a little time out of your week to visit us here on Buckeye Talk. You got it, Douglas. Looking forward to seeing you. Back on Buckeye Talk, Doug, Nathan, Stephen, your questions. From the 202, how big a deal would it be to finish number two instead of number one? Clemson looks really good, so I suspect Ohio State would have to play them at some point to win the title. Does it matter if it's the semifinal or the title game? We we, we talked about, I think, some of that last week with, like, you have a month to prepare or you only have a couple day, uh, 10 days to prepare. I don't want to get into that too much, but I do want to just talk about the idea of um, – and then, again, similar question from the 937, how important is it to score style points and get the one seed to avoid Clemson, who looks like the Clemson everyone thought they were going to see? Um, it feels like this could be – it feels like – do you guys agree that there are three teams that are going to be in the playoff that are above everybody else? Yes. Yes, absolutely. 
So it feels like, and I know other people around the country, I've made this point, that it may be more important this year than in many other years to like get that one seed because there might be a drop-off from three to four. That again, if LSU loses to Georgia in the SEC championship game, then I think LSU is the four, Georgia's the three, Clemson's the two, Ohio State's the one. Yeah. Then that's how you get LSU-Ohio State. If LSU wins out, then it feels like the four is going to be either the Big 12 champ or the Pac-12 champ. And that feels like like how big of a drop-off in your mind is there between whoever that four seed would be compared to who the two, three teams are going to be. I think of those teams kind of the same way that if people rewind, I would have been talking about Penn State 15, 20 minutes ago. They're really good teams in college football. They, they could also just remember it. They don't have yep. to rewind on this again. <laughs> I was just <laughs> saying, it was a long-winded way of, of getting back to. It's called. It's what we call a, a, a throwback, a callback. Yeah. It's what we call back. It's called a callback in the podcast game. Let Doug. me tell you, if you're listening to this two-hour podcast and then you're also rewinding it and listening to it again, you've got problems. Hey, we've got a, 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 a special friend in, uh, in the, on the East Coast. Well, that, if Benji is doing it, Benji's in the clear because Benji is our guy. Yeah. Um, but if you're an adult, yeah. Yeah. Any, anywho... <laughs> Um, I, I, I see them like it, it's still you know that that in that fifteen to twenty point range of point spread that I would expect Ohio State to be able to beat all those teams by. I, none of those teams I don't think are as good on both sides of the ball as Ohio State. That's the thing to me. It's like I think Clemson, and then I I kind of think maybe the other team that's out there that might be a real threat could be Georgia. I don't. The problem is they're not as explosive on offense, but. I think you, whoever potentially beats Ohio State is going to have to beat them with their defense as much as going out and being able to score points. That's why I don't think LSU is is that tough of a matchup potentially for Ohio State. I think Ohio State needs to avoid Clemson as long as it humanly can because that is, that is the one team that I think is can beat Ohio State. I think, Gary, you've got, you do have a combination of a really strong defense – and I know people are going to say that they haven't necessarily been challenged by their schedule, which is somewhat true. But also, they're they're doing what Ohio State has done most of the year right now, which is take mediocre teams and just plant them three miles into the earth right now. You know, Wake Forest, I was definitely crapping on Wake Forest a couple weeks ago with good reason as far as whether they should have been in the top 25. But Clemson beats them 52-3. to I mean, these games aren't even worth talking about the way the Clemson wins them, and that's what Ohio State's been doing to teams, too. That's I just see a, a, some similarities there. And, and then they have the combination of Trevor Lawrence and what they could do on offense. That is the team, I think, that is the most dangerous. So do you want – now the question is, do you want to play that team on a quick turnaround after winning a semifinal, or do you want that team in the semifinals and you get a month to prepare for it? Uh, and, again, I mean, I, 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 I think the, the the bigger issue is, like, if you don't have – if you only have to play one of the two good teams instead of both of them. Right. Yeah, and if, if, that, if the three good teams are Ohio State, LSU, and Clemson, and two of those three teams are going to have to beat two of them, and right. one of them only has to beat one of them, you want to be the one that gets an easier semifinal game. Yep. Like the order of it, we've already covered that. I don't want to go down that road again. From the nine oh one, Stephen, you had mentioned this point. I think he, this person in the nine oh one, is is much more worried about Clemson. He thinks LSU reminds him of Ohio State 2018. Yeah. You made that point earlier. The quarterback with the huge numbers because the defense isn't very good. Um, but the interesting part about from the 901 is, am I the only Ohio State fan that wants to play Clemson? I can't get the taste of 31 nothing out of my mouth, and I hate Dabo and his trolls towards Urban. I would feel so amazing to beat them by 30-plus to win the natty. And I'll take this because I think this is 
very interesting. Alabama is not going to make the playoff. Alabama has been in every playoff so far, all Correct. five years. Um, Clemson has been in the last four. They didn't make – Clemson was not part of it. The year that Ohio State won the national championship was the only year that Clemson wasn't in the playoff. Yeah. Clemson, when Ohio State and Clemson played in the Orange Bowl in 2013, it was like a big deal because it was the first – it was a it was a rematch of the 1978 Gator Bowl that was Woody Hayes' last game. Um, and that previously had been Ohio State's history with Clemson, was Woody Hayes. Clemson was the, – that was the team that ended the Woody Hayes era. Now, Clemson – that Orange Bowl against Ohio State, when Ohio State lost to Taj Boyd and Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins had more than 200 receiving yards in that game. A bunch of screen passes. Braxton Miller gets hurt in that game, alters the, the path of Ohio State history. Um, that's where he first got injured, which then was the re-injury that led to J. There's a lot of things that happened there. That was the beginning. That was the beginning of Clemson. The iceberg poking up, the volcano poking up. Yeah. Things that poke up, that was them poking up. Like when there's when the when the way. surface level is flat and then something pokes up. That analogy. Um, take hmm. that, editor. Take that part out. Wow. Ohio State helped birth Clemson, and then they took like a little step back. I think the next year, and then they were Clemson. And now we have. Ohio State has always been compared to Alabama. That was the whole thing of the urban era. Can Ohio State beat Bama? And we've done a great job at Cleveland.com of, of chronicling that. But it would be very appropriate because, of we, as we've said many times and everybody knows, Clemson stole Ohio State's place in college football as the primary challenger to Alabama. So now in a world where Clemson isn't really the challenger to Alabama right now. They're a they're kind of above Bama. Yeah. They've proven they, they've beaten them on the field. And now Alabama, with some injuries, is having a step back year. Clemson like, is having like a bad year, except they had like three bad games and now they're killing everybody. Clemson absolutely has almost taken the spot of Alabama as I get what this Ohio State fan is saying because they've beaten Bama. Urban beat Saban. That was like the feeling. That's why that 2014 national title is so great to Ohio State fans. Part of it's the national title. It's kind of a big part of it. But the fact that it went through Bama mm. made it better. Well, and You I'll... vanquished Bama. You haven't vanquished Clemson. Yeah. So if, if Clemson gets upset and doesn't even make the playoffs, and so now you're playing an LSU team with, with as great as its offense is, some questions on the other side of the ball, and you're playing – Oregon and you're playing Oklahoma and you're playing Georgia you're playing teams that have had more flaws this season and then you go out and win a national championship as an Ohio State fan do you feel you're not giving back that national championship you're going to feel a lot very happy about that national championship but does it necessarily feel like you've returned to the top of the mountain the same way as if you have to go through Clemson or Alabama or both you'll take the title any way you can yeah, get it sure sure it's sure. like one of those things it's like would you like the easier path or the harder path right in my life I always choose the easier path so you take but I think there is something there would be something special to it because that's hanging out there sure they've 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 run through the Big Ten they beat Bama they went on the road and beat Oklahoma when in 2016 um they've they've 
beaten Texas and it's like they've shown but Clemson is like the new power on the scene and when you run through the powers of college football really they even went you know USC beat them twice in the regular season in 08 and 09 and they went to the Cotton Bowl and beat Sam Darnold and USC when you look at like the modern era of college football and the opportunities that Ohio State has had and I had a trivia question the other I think the other week about like whatever in the last 20 years, the coaches that have beaten Ohio State more than once, and like Dabo's on that list, but like Dabo's like the only one who has beaten Ohio State more than once but hasn't lost to him at all. Clemson, believe it or not, is like the one team hanging out there as a national power that Ohio State hasn't beaten. I think you want, I, I, I said earlier, I think you avoid Clemson as long as possible, but like you want them, but you want them in the national championship game because like, with, even with like to your point, they beat Bama, but it was in the semifinal, and then like, <clears throat> But that was, but that wasn't any worse. No, it wasn't any worse. But like, it definitely would have been better if like Alabama had to watch you celebrate winning a national championship. Well, from a competitive standpoint, I think it would feel very sweet if if Dabo Sweeney and Trevor Dabo if if Trevor if Trevor Lawrence, the guy who was ranked over Justin Fields, has to sit there and watch Justin Fields raise up a trophy at the end of the season. I, that's going to be a, a, a very sweet feeling for him. I guarantee it. I uh... I guarantee it. I like the idea. It goes back to the to the U.S. Olympic hockey team, which happened when you were negative fourteen. You mean the movie Steven. Miracle? I mean the movie. <laughs> that was based on a true story. <laughs> there was a country called America. There was and another a country, country called the USSR, yeah. which yeah. doesn't exist. No, now. it doesn't. The Cold War. Um, it was on tape delay. I was seven. Very big into Eric Hyden. That Olympics. Nathan was, was two. Than, I was like, actually, it was like eighteen months because it would have been like February of nineteen eighty, right? February of nineteen eighty. My first grade teacher was very into the Winter Olympics, and my first grade teacher also read from a large leather-bound book at Christmas and oh, read about so... read us stories about Santa Claus. And I was like, that book is leather-bound. This is the real deal. Um, I love my Mrs. Grumbine. Oh, what a first grade teacher, Eric Hyden. The Olympic hockey team, but the idea of beating like the big baddie in the semis, and then it's like it's like you've you've done it, but then oh wait wait we have to actually go beat somebody else and not let like get upset on the championship. That's actually a pretty good thematic. Like, yeah, that's a good plot device. I think people think that it, the uh, United States beat USSR for gold. They correct. didn't. That's because in movies, even if it's not in the championship game, they're gonna put it in the championship game because what. It just makes for a better story. Did they redo it when you watched no, no, no. Miracle? No, they didn't do Did it there. It? But I've seen plenty of movies where, like, they'll make something a championship game because it just makes for a better story. But I do think I like the idea of, like, who is your Finland? Because that was, like, it's perfect. It's like it's Finland <laughs> in, the, in the gold yeah. medal game. It's like Oregon and, and Bo Bishop and I have talked about this a million times. That's exactly what 2014 was. Yeah. Alabama's the USSR and Oregon's Finland. And it's like, okay, well, we still have to go beat Finland. Wouldn't it be a thing? You beat – you win the Cold War. They won the Cold War on the ice. And then you lose to Finland? Are you kidding me? Exactly. So, no, you want Clemson – Muhammad Ali wants Joe Frazier when, when it's for the title. Kevin Durant wants LeBron James when it's in the NBA Finals. You don't want to play them in the conference yeah, semis. But, but that Warriors, Oklahoma City was great. Semi like Western it was, Conference Final was great. It was great. But you know what was better? Cleveland coming back from three one in the championship game. Got punched right there in the. Uh... Yeah. All right. Is uh, let's see. 
How about this? I, I don't know if I agree. With, the next time from the 5-1-3, the next time the Buckeyes are on the goal line, do you think that adding Master Teague to the backfield in a Lendale-White role would increase our chances of scoring? Um, that, I guess, is a... J.K. Dobbins got stopped on a 4th and 1 or 4th and 2 against yeah. Rutgers. Um, having watched the Browns this season, I am very attuned to uh, red zone and goal line <laughs> issues. I have not felt like the Buckeyes have been lacking at all at the goal line or in red zone issues. If someone wants to call up the stats, we certainly could. They've, we've talked about it and written No, they've about been one of enough. the best yeah. good. offenses yeah. in the country as far as scoring red zone touchdowns. So are we looking for red zone wrinkles or are we good? Um... I suppose you could throw – I don't think it's something that has to become like the the look of this offense. Um, but if I was going to do it, I would probably do it with something they have tried a couple times in goal line situations, just go under center and then put a, a tight end in the backfield or something like that for extra blocking. I don't know if i do it with Master Teague. I'll say this converted 89% of their red zone uh, situations this year. I How think many touchdowns? What percentage of touchdowns? It – 40, 48 of them have been touchdowns. They're fine. I, I do think, I think people, and we covered it in the postgame podcast, people got a little freaked out by some of the Rutgers stuff. Um, I, I do not think it is an issue. That's I think the, That's the most in the Sorry, that's the most in the country. Justin Fields is, is a red zone monster. Their zone read run game uh, with Fields and, and Dobbins is a killer um, near the goal line. Um, I think, like, Luke Farrell can get some stuff done. They ran a really – it was interesting. They ran a really nice route a couple games ago. I can't remember against two. Chris Olave was, like, mm-hmm. on the right side. Yeah. yeah. Ran all the way across, like, through the linebackers, got wide open on the left side of the field. You know who ran that? The Browns ran it last week with Jarvis Landry, and he was wide open again. And I was like, I know that play. It's the Chris <laughs> Olave play. And I want to ask Freddie Kitchens, like, are you taking stuff from Ryan Day? <laughs> Not to criticize. This would be a pretty good idea. Yeah. Also, football teams run the same plays. Um Interesting question here, and I have a I have a interesting comment on this, but I want to hear what you guys think about this. From the 330, this question was motivated by the Jalen Gill sighting last Saturday. The top four recruits in 2018 have played virtually no part in this year's success. Um, Teron Vincent mm-hmm. has been out with an injury. Nicholas Petit-Frere is a backup. Um, Tyreek Johnson... Is just not is like in the yeah. mix in the secondary has been here and there and Jalen Gill. Yeah, um, they're healthy, but they're not doing that much. Could you share any insight you may have on these three? Also, any risk of them entering the transfer portal? We don't like throwing transfer stuff out there with guys' names attached to it. We don't know. It's early. These are only um, second year guys. I do think anytime you get to your third year and you are a highly rated guy and you don't see a path to the field, I think it opens it up. And then we just all play the game. But these are people's lives, so it's not a game to them. But that's when it gets reasonable. You think you're really good. You know you could play somewhere else. You've given it two seasons, and it doesn't feel like it's exactly worked here yet. Or you feel like you're blocked, and that opens the door. So these guys are only in their second year. They're going to lose some important guys off this team. Opportunities are going to open up. You can see the you know the opportunity for NPF is going to open up. Open up. There's going to be a ton. I mean, there's going to be they're going to potentially lose all four secondary guys. If Sean Wade goes pro, they're going to lose all four secondary guys. There's right. going to be opportunities out the wazoo. KJ Hill is going to be gone. He's the guy blocking Jalen Jalen Gill right now. So like we 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 get all that right. Teron Vincent. 
B.B. Landers is going to be gone. Jay Sean Cornell is mm-hmm. going to be gone. Davon Hamilton is going to be gone. That's three huge guys off the inside. Teron Vincent, I think, is going to be very good for this team. I think he'd be in the mix with Togiai and some of these other guys if he was healthy. That's all it is. Is Outside of Tyreek Smith and Tommy Togiai, everybody else is behind a guy where it's like it doesn't make any sense to take him off the field. Well, and I think it's also when you're looking ahead to people you're worried about transferring, I think they're, it's very important that you separate guys who are injured and not playing from guys who are blocked and not playing. The other thing to remember is a lot of times we'll go talk to these guys later in their career and be like, hey, wasn't it frustrating when you were like, you came in as a really highly recruited freshman and sophomore and, and weren't playing very much? And they're going to be like, have you ever heard of Nick and Joey Bosa? Have you ever heard of Jeff Okuda? Like, have you ever heard of these guys that were in front of me? Like, I wasn't an NFL-ready talent yet. That doesn't mean I wasn't good. That doesn't mean I wasn't going to, you know – perform when I got my opportunity eventually. A lot of these guys are confident. They came to Ohio State because they want to win national championships. They want to play football for Ohio State. It's not necessarily that they just want to play football. And I think sometimes we don't give them enough credit for seeing the big picture. Sometimes they don't see the big picture. Sometimes guys come in as freshmen and think they're supposed to play over the Boses and, and, and Chase Young and get frustrated if they don't. I'm not talking about any specific defensive ends. I'm just happening to name the the best talents that, we, that they've had here in the last couple of years. But a lot of times these guys do see the big picture. They, they're out there practicing with these guys. They see who has the unreal talent and who doesn't. And they see that they have to raise their level. So the one other thing I wanted to, again, go read the story I wrote about the equating talent and um, some of the Penn State guys who were, rec- who were recruited hard by Ohio State. A lot of them were in the 2018 class. I think in 2018 Ohio State had the number two class in the country. I think Penn State was sixth. We've talked a lot about the 2017 and 18 classes for Ohio State, both ranked number two in the country. This, the, the really good point by this texture is the 2018 class is not making that big of an impact right now. The guy in 2018 who's making a big impact is Justin Fields, who was the number two recruit in the country, right. but didn't come to Ohio State and doesn't count in the recruiting things. But if he had right. come to Ohio State out of high school, Ohio State would have had the number one class in the country that year. Or if he say he committed to Penn State. Right. Well, for, Ironically. Well, Penn State would have been in the top three or four. Yeah. Another, another callback, by the way. Cleveland.com slash OSU. Please stop and scroll, rewind. Scroll down a ways. <laughs> oh, yeah. They, go they read keep the, listening the, while they read. They're multi We have multi talented listeners. We believe in you. Not necessarily multi talented talents. No. On the podcast. So I do think the one difference to me when I was looking at, because I was looking at a lot of the 2000, a lot of the Penn State guys who, who were recruited by Ohio State, and they're almost all, the ones that matter, are almost all in the 2018 class. And the difference to me is, like, that number six class in the country for Penn State, all those second-year guys, like, they're all playing for Penn State. Ohio State had a higher-rated class than Penn State that year, and, like, none of them are playing. So at Penn State, they do have some really good players, and they have some young guys there, and I think they have enough young guys in the pipeline that they might be on a path where they're going to be, like, really good, like, next year maybe. Um, but when you're a guy like that at Penn State, you get on the field. Rasheed Walker is a second-year guy. He's a redshirt freshman for Penn State. He was like a top 60 national recruit. And on National Signing Day in 2018, Ohio State had three guys they were trying to get on National Signing Day. Nicholas Petit-Frere, Javante Jean-Baptiste, and Rasheed Walker. They went two for three. Nicholas Petit-Frere is another tackle. They were desperate for offensive line help. They had two major tackles on the board. They got one. They got the higher-rated one. Nicholas Petit-Frere was a top-10 guy. Rasheed Walker was a top-50, top-60 guy. Nicholas Petit-Frere in his second year is a backup at Ohio State. Rasheed Walker in his second year at Penn State is the starting left tackle. And I think that's the one shocking was that Nick Petit-Frere didn't win that job. 
But I think that's part of it. And it's, but I don't know. Now, it could be that just Rasheed Walker, and I said maybe if Rasheed Walker was here, he would have won the job that Nicholas Petit Frere didn't quite win. Or right? maybe he would also be playing behind Thayer Munford right. and Brandon Bowen. Now, but the other thing is, I mean, Brandon Bowen is a fifth year guy, whatever, you know. Brandon Bowen's good. Brandon Bowen is not like a top two round NFL draft pick of like, well, if Nicholas Petit Frere was blocked, he had yeah. no hope. But it's just in Micah Parsons, again, who was a... But offensive line's <laughs> a little bit different, too. There's a reason these guys redshirt a lot of times at an even higher rate than any other position, probably. Would you say that's sure. fair? There's, there's, there's a, it's, I look at it almost the same way I look at, like, catchers in professional baseball, no, where the peak we, is later. But the idea is just, like, I do think if you go to Penn State and you're that good, you have a better chance to play early. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're less blocked. I don't, I'm not, but my point is I'm not sure that... Petit Frere was blocked. He certainly would have had a chance to. He's not blocked by a Bosa. No offense to Brandon Bowen. He's not blocked by a Bosa. No, or, Michael, or, or Parsons, Marshall, yeah. Michael Parsons is a better, better example. He's the number five overall recruit in 2018. Ohio State's very – he commits to Penn State, decommits. Ohio, he's from Harrisburg in the Penn, near Penn State. He's very interested in Ohio State. Gets a little wonky. Penn, Ohio State basically decides to back off. He goes to Penn State. He's, a, he's Penn State's leading tackler as a true freshman. He's the leading tackler again this year. I think he's Baron Browning. If he were here – He's really good. I don't know that he would have automatically blown everybody out of the lineup at Ohio State. He might be exactly yeah. what Baron Browning is, which is like, man, I'm trying to get on the field. I play. I'm good when I play, but I'm not the leading tackler. I don't play any snap. And that, to me, did help illustrate the difference that, again, you got, it illustrates the point you guys are making. It's like, yes, Penn State is more talented than Nebraska and Michigan State and Wisconsin and whatever else. But they are really quite still a gap to Ohio State because Michael Parsons is an instant difference maker the minute he steps on Penn State's campus because he's a five-star. At Ohio State, he's just another five-star. Yeah, I think what you've described <laughs> is that difference still between the 72 and the 52 or whatever. Is the depth of it. Yeah. And, and also, um, I don't remember where I was going with my other point. I mean, Sorry. if Jalen Gill was at Penn State, he would be... We'd probably be saying, I don't know, Ohio yeah. State has to figure out I how think, to cover Jalen Gill. No, he'd still Cage, be playing behind Hamler, though, as a slot receiver. Yeah, but like, okay, on the field. But it's more like, okay... That might be a bad Hamler, No, no, it actually might not be because Hamler might not play, but it's like, oh yeah, but they still got Jalen Gill. Now it's like, okay, who do they have? Now, like, KJ might not play. Jalen Gill's a top 30 national recruit. Yeah. And, and in his second year, and again, he has plenty of time to be good, but he's just not a factor for them. He's a top 30 national recruit in his second year who kind of is not a factor for this team because there are so many other good players. I guess that's the point. Yeah. Um, this person thinks that, from the 804, I may have missed my real calling. With your glibness and persuasive abilities, you would have been a good either prosecuting or defense attorney. Did you ever consider law school? Would you guys want me as your lawyer? No. Um, not I with love... like my life at stake. No. I don't even want you to be my Atticus Finch in a callback to no. our uh, Rutgers trip. Callback's the word of the day. Um, I wouldn't want you being my Atticus Finch if I was uh, up for a capital offense. I would maybe let you like... Do, do my probate stuff. Judge, I do believe that Mr. Baird has been woefully underrepresented this by exactly. this prosecutor. I am a fraud, sir. Um, you pull that voice out, I'm just going to have Alvin put me in handcuffs. Yeah. Like, Steve was like, I'm guilty. Yeah, I don't right. even know. <laughs> what you want to do. Just, I don't know yeah, what Just I like did. midway through the sentence, just like, stop. Yeah, like, let's go. Let's uh, Tim May kind of went down this road a little bit this year. Hey, uh, you know, the, 
play not say book, but like a play zip drive, a play uh, that was tablet. A, I mean, that's the oldest thing I've heard anybody on this beat ever say. I did a, one of my ever. first years on the beat. I did a whole story about like when they watch film, it's not actually film. Yeah, it's like a video, and somebody was like, "And it's not a real pigskin anymore, you idiot." It's like I know people use words. With the relative ease, the offense has been putting up points this season. Do you think the staff has any kind of concepts or strategy in their back pocket in case things stall the next few weeks? This is a constant question from fans. It's an interesting question. It is often a question from media. I never know the answer. The well, playbook is the playbook. It's not. The framing of this is it's not that they're going to come up with new plays. It's that they have the playbook. They don't use all the plays in the playbook every week. Right, and uh, you know Ryan Day gets his question just about every week. Like, hey, is there still some stuff that you can put in there? And I don't know if people are expecting him to like, now that you mention it, here, yeah. I want to show you guys a couple things. Here's our package. I'm not exactly sure if these are work. I want to get, let's, let, I'm going to canvas the room after we're done and, and get a survey of how good you think these plays are. Hold on a second. And he turns around and just starts, like, takes out a marker on a dry erase board <laughs> and just starts dialogue. What do you guys expect him to do? Like, he, I mean, he says, I mean, in this week he said, no, we've pretty much put everything in. The other thing to remember, too, though, is that so, a lot of things are, there's a, there's a, a formation and then you just, there's wrinkles off of that. It's 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 not that they're going to come out in some crazy new formation with something that they no one's ever heard of in the history of football. It's just a little wrinkle. You've seen that I think a couple times on routes that Chris Olave has run, for instance, where you know a play that was run one way in week four, by the time you get to week eight, all of a sudden now he just runs that route a slightly different way and he's going for a touchdown. Or he's going for a big gain. I think those are the kind of things you'll see a little bit more. I think there's also still some things as we've talked about before with Justin Fields throwing that I think he's still growing into. It's going to allow them to do some things more consistently here as, as they keep progressing in future weeks. Two things. One, I'm just imagining one day somebody asks him that question. He gets so fed up and says, turn the lights out and just like start showing us every single play that they have in that playbook. But more importantly, I went to the coaching clinic over the summer and somebody, I, I don't know where they were from, but somebody asked like Ryan Day to just give some examples of different mesh routes you can run, different things you can do with mesh routes. And obviously mesh routes are, they're pretty much crossing routes where depending on what the defense is in, they're either going to sit in this hole or they're going to keep going through. And there's going to be, if it's man-to-man, you saw the Dwayne Hassons shred Michigan apart last year with those mesh routes. And if it's zone, they're sitting in it. He showed so many different things outside. Like, obviously, the slots are running the mesh routes. And then he showed so many different things that the X and the Z were doing in those situations, whether it's a, a go route, a post route, an out route, so many different things. So I think that's what it is where somebody the, – here's the here's the play. It's just what's going to happen. Now, depending on, you know, what the situation is, what the personnel is on the defense, what they want to do, whether they're on schedule or off a schedule is the type of routes that the wide receivers are going to run or what somebody else is going to do. But the base of a play is always going to be the same. They meshed the bejesus out of people in 17 when yeah. Ryan Day got here. We went bonkers for the mesh stuff. They were still doing it in 18. They haven't really done it as much this year. I do think the time that you see stuff, and I think the – some of the examples, I think they pop up best when there are some team. If a team commits to playing man against yeah. them, the way Michigan did, and they knew that was coming with Michigan last year. Um, if a team's going to play zone, you've got to find some holes where you can sit down in the zone. They believe, I think, with their skill and their speed, that if you're going to man us up, now we've got a whole book of stuff to give to free guys up to get our guys a step off the line or off a pick or on a mesh so that if you're going to try to play man, you're going to be chasing us. And we're going to hit you with crosses. We're going to hit you with stuff. So I think 
there's not as many teams anymore who are willing to do that with Ohio State. Because, because of that, but also the threat of, like, your quarterbacks <coughs> are looking and Justin Fields' running ability takes off. So you're trying to chase these receivers that you can't keep up with, and then you're turning your back, and all of a sudden the quarterback's running in the middle of the field 25 yeah. yards in a scramble. That's when I see you that they really go after people sometimes, and they can dive into the, some of the playbook stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if that's what you're going to try to do, okay. If you're going to zone up on them, it's like you've got to find places to sit down in a zone or whatever. Sometimes a lot of people try to take stuff away over the top. I think sometimes what happens is it looks like maybe they've been saving stuff in the playbook when a defense decides to play them in a way that most people haven't been willing to play them. And and the idea isn't like we've been saving this. It's like, well, we can't run this stuff when you zone us up. But if you're going to man us up, whoop! We got a whole I, yeah. zip drive. Hey, uh, is it like on a is it on a server somewhere and you've got to connect on Wi Fi or Justin should have been like, Yeah, you wanna you wanna see my you wanna see my zip, zip drive of the playbook? So if like I'm just walking and I happen to lose it. Yeah, no, that, that was his Tim May impression. Hey, yeah. yeah, I'm just talking about Justin's like, yeah, just so if I walk someday and I drop it, somebody around campus just has a Ohio State's whole playbook. I love Tim May. I wish Tim May was not my dad, my uncle. I would like to have Thanksgiving with Tim May. Tim, if you're listening, you may invite me. Um, you're not just inviting him. Don't you, don't you celebrate Thanksgiving? I do, but I think we're going to go to Buca de Beppo. For Thanksgiving? Yeah. Hmm. You, you they have a Thanksgiving thing, Spaghetti, or? but you can also get pasta, right. which sounds pretty good to me. So this, I think, I want to get into this. I, I mentioned this earlier that I wanted to get into this uh, story that you wrote, Nathan, from the 423 Thanks for the podcast. It's the best Ohio State podcast out there. You convinced me to subscribe for the text. So here's my question. Thank you to the 423. In 2015, we had the same kind of scenario with the last two games, Michigan State and then Michigan, two of the best teams in the Big Ten. The Buckeyes lost to Michigan State, even though we had a very talented team. How likely do you think it will happen this time? Nathan, you wrote this story. That's the comparison that jumped out for me. It's not necessarily that it's Penn State-Michigan. It's that it's two tough teams at the end. I don't think Ohio State like lost to Michigan State that night because they were looking ahead to Michigan or anything. But again, it's just that idea of like that 2015 team to a tenfold degree compared to this team, sort of like was skating through that regular season, not playing necessarily great teams, not necessarily playing great all the time, but their tests were waiting for them at the end. I think there's two things here. One is the the back-to-back physical nature of like, you're talking, Nathan, sort of like, hey, you think the Michigan game could be the real test. And part of that reason that makes sense is because we're going to be coming off the Penn State game and maybe having a tough game or being beaten up a little bit, playing a better opponent. But also it's just that you get through and you just aren't you aren't tested. And then all of a sudden, it's like if you – instead of having a midterm and a final, it's like if you just were doing your homework assignments and then you had the midterm and the final and back-to-back weeks. Like sometimes it's better to spread stuff out. Uh... What do you think about – I don't want to get into the theory too much of it, of just like, but I, I want you to talk about your story, and, and I want us to revisit. We've talked about this before. Like, does this make it harder? Is it harder for Ohio State to go 12-0 and because Penn State and Michigan are back-to-back as opposed to last year Penn State was in September? How big of a deal is this really? Well, I think it might depend. It's harder if you get beat up against Penn State, I suppose, um, and, and that could be – Across the board, it could be individual players, whatever. However, I would then also argue, though, you could argue, yes, the tests are at the end. Your big tests are at the end. Your big tests are kind of supposed to be at the end. It is that March Madness um, 
analogy that you were writing about and that Ryan Day has talked about and other people on this program have talked about. Your, your big tests are supposed to be at the end. And, and Ohio State is pr- possibly better in position to beat these two teams back-to-back than it would be if it had played them back-to-back in October because they're, they've developed more over the course of a season. They have more depth. Some of the players that even that they were relying on early on are better now. They've These last two weeks gave them a chance to rest some guys who probably needed the rest or at least pull their reps back a little bit in-game, whether that's some of these offensive linemen, whether it's some of the guys who were completely inactive. Um, I, I think it sets up potentially... I, I, I think the Michigan game is... is going to be their hardest one of the season to win but i don't think it has anything to do with the fact they're playing penn state this week and i don't think it's going to i don't think if for people who are asking about well the big 10 could change this whatever that's that's just not how this works it's not going to happen let's go quick answer on some of these if ohio state could only win one of the next two games which game would fans pick my dad would kill me for saying this but i'd pick penn state that's from jordan the 937 i think in this age it's penn state i think if you're over the age of 45 you're picking michigan I, I think it has to be Penn State because that assures you of getting to the Big Ten Championship game, assures you of getting yeah. another potentially good win to put on your resume. If you, I think they probably still get in even if they lose to Penn State and beat Michigan, especially if they do it convincingly. I think they can probably still be the four because of how high this team, this committee seems to hold Ohio State. But you are throwing yourself back into a more precarious position than if you win the Big Ten. There are people reaching through their radios and their, no, their phones right now. Yeah. Uh, Michigan. You're the new guy. I would back up there. There, there, there. You can't say they're wrong yeah. because you can't. You can't tell people what to value. Okay, we are that's in, fair. We but... are in an, an evolving college football world, and I understand the idea of holding on to things that you valued your whole life. Yep. And the game has flipped a lot. I'm just more practical in the last than twenty that. years. Yeah. But as I, guy, I think more practically I, than with emotion. As a guy who's actually from this city. Like there, I guarantee you, there is an age of people who like. Yeah. Are, it's Michigan. I don't care. We have to beat Michigan. I should. I should. I'm not trying to be glib. I'm just trying to be practical. I think what you want to do is win a national championship. Correct. Your best chance of winning a national championship is if you can only win one of these next two games. Than yeah. the one you want to win is Penn State. If Ohio State loses to both Penn State and Michigan, would they still make a New Year's New Year's Six Bowl in the five one seven? Um, I've been doing the bowl projections. I think they probably would. Maybe, I mean, like teams like like there's like two loss. Florida is looking like they might make a New Year's Six bowl. So like that's a weird thing to think about. Wait, I don't think that's going to happen. Two lo- Wait, the question is that they lose a game, then they lose the Big Ten championship. They lose to both Penn State and Michigan. So they don't even go to the Big okay, Ten championship. So they yeah, so they're ten and two, Ooh. and it's like they still might be the, Capital the second bowl, or third. Well, maybe? but they're asking they're asking if they'd make the Cotton Bowl or okay. or the. Orange Bowl or something like that, and my answer would still be maybe. We'll cross that. Let's cross that bridge when we get to it. Um, do you think even if this game isn't close, we'll finally learn a lot about this Buckeye team? Is this the game where if Ohio State wins by fifty, we no longer say maybe Penn State isn't good and this team is solid, but instead say okay, this team is something really special from the six one four. If they blow Penn State off the map, is that absolute confirmation that these guys are special? <coughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Sure. I mean. Oh, do you already have it? I'm do you already, already have it? I, I, I'm already I think there. we're already there. That I was think, the first 45 yeah, minutes. Yeah, I podcast. think anybody who's still like 15 minutes out from their exit is going to finally get off on their exit if that happens. I mean, I've said this might be the best team I've covered in 15 years, and that includes the national championship team. And This is the best team I've covered in 18 months. Yeah. 
This is an interesting question from the 614. I was going to end on this, but I'm at it now. Give us one sentence about what makes this team so successful. Not a run on. One sentence about how you would encapsulate why this team is so good. Elite performance in all phases. Everybody is playing. I think you could say it has elite performance. Did it have a noun? Elite Is elite performance in all phases? That's just a phrase. That's a phrase. A sentence. You're a writer, for God's sakes. Write it. Make it a sentence. I may like think. Like but English I'm also, class. because I'm a writer, I can make the rules up as I go along. That is the thing. That the more, true. the older that you get true. as a writer, the less you write in sentences. Yeah, so people sometimes ask me, like, is that even a word? And I'll be like, it is now. Yep. <laughs> uh, I just breathed into, uh, wrote it into existence. Are you going to go check Webster? No. Oh, I'm going to go. <coughs> Everybody is playing up to their potential. I'm going to say smart coaching is freeing up and maximizing elite talent. I'm sticking with my phrase. What are the odds that J.K. stays from the 954? You guys think J.K.'s gone? He's gone now. He up out of here. Yeah, as, as someone who coming into the year was like, in sort of the prove it mode with J.K. Dobbins, I think he's proven it, and I think he's going to go play in the NFL now. Bye, J.K. It's the we'll have a post on Friday morning. We always do it for Senior Week. What underclassmen are playing their final home game in Ohio Stadium? We will make all of our guesses on them. We do it every year. It's a kind of a fun, interesting exercise. I don't mind making those guesses on guys because we don't put transfer guys and stuff in there. It's about you're so good, you might not be back. Um, and But actually looking at it, there have been times when we've done that post in the past and there's been like 10, 12 guys on it. There's only like six or seven guys, really. And like most of the six or seven are like, the guys there's like you expect four or five there. obvious ones yeah. and then like one or two on Some the Some reaches, yeah. Um, let's see. If you guys had to choose between a third straight one-point Ohio State win or a three-score Ohio State blowout, which would you choose and think is more likely? That's from Rob in the 740. He thinks Ohio State's going to win 42-7 by shredding the Penn State secondary. Well, if I'm picking as a per- – what do I think is going to happen? I think it's more likely that the second thing happens. I think it's more likely a, like I said, 17-20 whatever point spread. Which one is more interesting to me as a reporter – a game no, that comes down pick. to the last play of the game. Well, that's two different questions, though. Well, he didn't ask that. He just said, which is... Which I think is more likely. I think it's more likely it'll be oh. three-plus scores. Which do you say? Three-plus scores. I think one-point game. Um, is there Three-plus any- scores could be nine points, though, right? Nope. I don't think that's not what that means. <laughs> no, it's not. It definitely <laughs> could be six. Three safeties. <laughs> yeah, right. um, is there any concern Ohio State may decline after Urban Meyer recruits are all gone? Has this season given Ryan Day enough cred to recruit at a similar level? Is that a credit to him or the school name from the 614? What are your thoughts going forward? Secondly, would Urban have done this well this season, or did this team need a new, fresh set of eyes? Um, if Urban revamped this defensive coaching staff, I think it would have been the same, and I think he would have had to revamp the coaching staff. The recruiting angle. Uh, they're fighting to have a top three class in the country right now, and they're probably going to get it. They are fighting to have the number one class in the country for 2021 because it's, it's already got the number two player in the country in it, and it's got – I think four of the five best players from the state of Ohio, and they're not done there yet. So I think they're going to be fine recruiting-wise. Well, but and, but that's that's immediate. I think what I think there is reason to be 
concern to some extent, only because, as with anything, that you haven't seen them actually go out and do to completion yet. Um, but the, other, the important thing to remember is it's not just Urban Meyer's recruits may be gone eventually, and Urban Meyer is gone, but Urban Meyer's structure is still in this program. Um, the recruiting structure that brought all those guys in is still here, and I think most of it anyway, and I think that's what's going to live on and be able to con- continue the replenish this yeah but the two guys who are getting the credit for a lot of these recruits are jeff hafflew who wasn't here last year and brian hartline for all intents and purposes and is is in his first year officially as the wide receiver coach jeff hafflew did a lot of that work over the summer and after that week after that weekend where they had a bunch of guys here so like it's not like these were guys who like obviously urban meyer was is one of the greatest recruits of all time but these are two guys where um, they've had an immediate impact even though they just got here on right. Ohio State's recruiting and its first two classes under Ryan Day. But again, it's you're talking about, again, the first two classes under Ryan Day, and you're talking about, with Jeff Halfley, I don't think he's leaving soon, but he is leaving. He will not be here for a decade. Um, he's going to get a, a really good opportunity, and I think, and this year is proving why. Okay. So again, so I'm, talk, I'm looking more, looking? I don't know, five years down the I, line? Yeah, but like, I mean. I mean, if you're a great head coach, you have to be able to recruit regardless yeah. of who your assistants are. Right. Uh, Who's yeah, the best recruiter on the Ohio State staff of the assistants? Brian Hartline, and then it's Jeff Halfley. Who's the best recruiter on the Ohio State staff? Larry Johnson. Oh. That's the okay. test. That, to me, well, yeah. is the test. That, to me, is the test. When he when he finally decides he doesn't when want to do it anymore. When he retires, when he retires, um, what is that defensive line going to look like? They are the place. They're game changers. They've had they've had game changers. Um, what's that gonna look like? That I think is, and Ryan Day is gonna have to make a great hire and try to keep that rolling. So I think that's very interesting. Or is it already I, on the staff? I I think it, Kenny, Kenny there, but also Al Washington at the linebacker spot. No, that's true. I mean, like we said, yeah. I mean, if Al Washington yeah. is, is that kind of recruiter, and I think he might be, um, it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be interesting. But the main thing is if you have to be the kind of head coach that can bring in guys that you can't have it be that you lose an assistant or two and your, your program goes down the tubes yeah. because of an assistant. That's true. Um, I don't have concern. I, I wouldn't use a concern about, about it. I have curiosity. I don't automatically 100% assume that Ryan Day is going to pull in national five stars like Urban Meyer did because Urban Meyer was special. But I think he could. I think he could. Offensively, I think he can. I think it, the, to the point of Larry John, I think the, it's the defensive side that's going to get into. But I think the other part of it is I like the under, I like the foundation of Ohio guys, especially on the offensive line that they've gone to. Mm-hmm. I think he can be a mix of Urban and Trestle. Trestle didn't have the top top end guys that Urban got on a consistent basis. He had that underneath layer of Ohio guys. When you saw Urban's national title team, there was an underneath layer of Ohio guys from Trestle that were part of that. Guys like Michael Bennett and Devin Smith and guys like that. I think there's a world where Day can mix, can be maybe, maybe he's not getting top two classes like Urban. Maybe he's getting the fifth or sixth best recruiting class in the country on a consistent basis. But he's still getting enough five stars, but he has an Ohio layer of guys underneath it. You can't. I mean, Clemson didn't build. Clemson is not winning national titles. They're getting it now, but they weren't getting top two recruits. You don't have to have the number one class in the country to be the number one team. Now, Alabama, that's, that's how they've won. But you don't have to do that all the time. I think there's a world where Ryan Day, you're fighting an uphill battle if you're not in the South and you're not in the Southwest, just with where the talent is. I don't think our expectation can be Urban Meyer had top two classes in 17 and 18. Ryan Day has to continue to get top two classes. Now, we see the effect. The 2013 class was a number two class. 
They led the 2014 national title. The 2017 class was the top two class. They are leading this push. And that's the argument. For national like title. Right now, that <coughs> the top classes are usually reflected in who are competing for national championships. I, I agree. That's where... I don't think that ours... I don't think the standard... Uh-oh. Oh, what's the code word? Nathan... Oh, Nathan is having a code word face. Nathan wants to say no, the magic actually, phrase he's not allowed to say on this podcast. No, no, no. Actually, I was not talking about that. I was talking about this bizarre thing that you've had going on for the entire oh. podcast where <laughs> yeah. you keep putting your chewing gum on your game notes. Okay, here's the thing. <laughs> Taking it I off am, every and Yeah, seconds. he, puts, he gets, goes and gets it and puts it back in his mouth every ten minutes. We're leaning in to a microphone. I'm very conscious of bad sick breath. Right. I don't. I'm trying to. I have big red, mm-hmm. but I only. Have, I ate my last two pieces in the car, so this is the last big red. I'm doing this for you, no, Nathan. It's definitely just funny to watch. this like, I also don't want to be going the whole podcast. But I would say I do not think we can live in a world going forward where we hold Ryan Day to the standard of where's your top two national class, because I think he can win at the kind of same level. With top ten classes, with an Ohio foundation, there won't be. They've had some holes in offensive line recruiting. I think because they've gone after too many national guys and they didn't work out and they transferred or whatever. If you build an Ohio foundation, particularly on the offensive line, you get skill guys nationally with these receivers, right? Make sure you get your running back here and there. Quarterbacks will want to come play for him. They've got to maintain the secondary. Kerry Combs built that secondary recruiting. It dipped when he left. Jeff Jeff Halfley is getting it back. You've got to hire a great secondary coach. But I think Ryan Day can win. I think Ryan Day can compete with national for national titles with top five, top eight classes. Doesn't have to be top two. I think we can hold Ryan Day to the compete for national title standard without holding him to the compete for recruiting title standard. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think I what what no. does what does trend towards the sentence you don't want me to say, the phrase you don't want me to say, is the thing that I didn't appreciate watching Ohio State from outside that I appreciate more now that I'm here is I used to think it was all about just player acquisition, and it's that is still really important. When you can recruit that many just great players, you're, you're ahead of the game. But the player development side of things is something I maybe didn't appreciate, and that's where I think if they can keep the player development nucleus here then, again, it doesn't necessarily matter that every class has to be one of the top classes in the country. If you're if you're acquiring that much really good talent over four years and then developing them better than other people will, which I think they can do with the, with the group that they have here, a group of coaches, then I think you're, you're getting to the same end point. I think if Urban Meyer's structure is in place the way it is to this strength for another two or three years, Ryan Day will have gotten enough knowledge to, if those guys start to decide, if Urban, let's in a world where let's see Urban my coaches again, and some of those guys go with Urban because they're still Urban's guys. Well, Ryan Day will have been around those guys long enough to be able to spot what his Mark Pantone looks like or his McMurati looks like, and he should be able to, in his own way, put in his own structure that even if it's not it's not a legend like what the legend was able to do, it's at least at a level where he should expect to be getting top five recruiting classes because. Like we just said, the teams who are who are competing for national championships this year 
Right now, if you look at their classes from 2017 and 2018, they were top five in the country. So there's no reason to believe that that won't be the trend in college football where the guys who are getting these top five classes are going to be the top five teams in the country. LSU is, is going to have a top five cl class this year. Let's see what, like, it's it's the same thing. I mean, I, obviously, yes. I just don't think, I mean, if if two years from now the top five recruiting classes in the country are Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Clemson, and USC, because USC got a real coach, I don't know that we can live in a world where we say, Ryan Day, what's up, man? No, I'm, no you're right. It shouldn't be. If, that, if, if there's one year, like Urban Myers was 2019. He just happened to retire afterward. If there's a year where there is a, a low class because there's so much talent that guys don't want to come here because they don't want to be blocked, and that's fine. But, like, it should be consistently trying to be a top-five recruiting class well, in the country. Well, yes. they're going to try. Yeah, no, like, no one's saying they're, they're not try. If they're not, if Ryan Day over the next five years has recruiting classes that rank in the next five years, fourth, ninth, seventh, third, and eleventh. I think it's going to mirror in is how that, they perform. Is that, has he, has that, is that some kind of lack of success in recruiting? That it's 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 yeah. it's a it, it's ridiculous to say that it would because because the difference because the difference between second and fourth we don't know what that difference is is it one five star that makes a difference between second and fourth in a given year or third and seventh like the the the, the, the ultimate recruiting ranking I don't know what some of these teams that have you know I don't know what Clemson was what Clemson's. 2015 class so was ranked. So your answer is no. Right. I just know that they won the national championship. The, the only the, the ultimate recruiting ranking is how many games you win. And, and I, no, my answer is yes because you're seeing equate to who's competing for national championships. So if he's got an 11th ranked recruiting class, okay, well eventually we're going to see a drop off in production on the field, and maybe they're not in their ninth, tenth, or eleventh in the country in rankings. I'm just, I just, I just think. Jim Trussell was excellent. He didn't recruit at the Urban Meyer level. No. The uh, Urban Meyer is a special case. Urban Meyer was an elite recruiter with Florida connections who arrived at Ohio State with two national championship rings. And then he raised the level of Ohio State recruiting to a consistent level that we've never seen before. John Cooper recruited great, too. I didn't cover that. But he recruited great fresh? nationally. But my point is, are we now expecting that everybody that follows Urban – is supposed to recruit at the same level that Urban did at a northern school when he was a coach who had won two national titles at a southern school and was an elite national recruiter. And somehow, if you don't match Urban's level, that's a failure and don't in forget, recruiting. And don't forget that, in theory, you could argue Urban Meyer has – in that era had an easier path to a national championship because you got <coughs> to compete for it in a different way than you did before. But that's but, – well, I'm but, just saying but that if you're going to, I was, I'm saying this before Stephen talks because I think that was a point he was about to make was those guys didn't win national championships. No, that's the not way. the point I was going to okay. make. But I just think that I, has yeah, to be. Right, we're, we're just talking about recruiting. We're just talking you're, about. You're recruiting. right in that notion, but like okay, since you were here for a lot of the Trestle era, outside of Maurice Claret, how many impact? How many guys were, were crazy impactful? As you got Maurice Claret, Ted Ginn, and Terrell Pryor. Outside of that, how many guys were impact guys as true freshmen? But most schools don't play true freshmen. As no, they don't, but the that. ones who are winning national championships are. No, but they're not winning national championships. Clemson just won a national championship with a true freshman quarterback and a true freshman wide receiver. That just happened. I don't Yeah, but earlier think... this year you were also talking about how Clemson wasn't that good. 
with those same guys. I don't. Yeah, but I no. just think we're in a day. So that's the level now. That's the new standard for Ohio State recruiting. I think if they're going to be competing for national championships, they got to do what other teams who are competing for national championships are doing. I I guess I can't I guess I can't disagree with that I I I just that's a hard world man it's a, it's it not, is there a is very a, hard but there's, world there's, but this there's, is Ohio he says it all the time this is Ohio State but there's multiple paths to a national championship it's I not guess, like there's only one blueprint to win right a national now, championship this is the, right <laughs> now this is what the path looks like you just to win okay a you just cited Clemson but go back like uh, each year before that but 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 Tua but, did but, it but Clemson when they started winning national championships they weren't they didn't have top two classes the first time they won the national championship. Correct. No, they did. But now Two also had a pretty great team around him. With five-star guys. You've got to have an elite quarterback, I think. And that's where I think it it, it nicely lines up that Ryan Day's strength is the thing that you need the most. Yeah. I don't know if you have to surround your elite quarterback with stacked top two and three recruiting classes if that's the only way to win. I mean, Tua's got a stacked wide receiver core. Clemson's no, got I a know, stack. Where I you, like it's just like I think you know like if this is the path, then like and we're talking about. This, he says it. This is Ohio State. This is going to be a hard world to live in. You're at Ohio State. This is your standard. We're trying to win that. They're trying to win national championships here. If you're going to do that, you got to do things that that are going to result in you at least competing for national championships. Having the 11th best recruiting class in the country is not going to mirror recru- competing for a national championship. It's just so, not. so it's two. Th- I mean. In one, in one year. I, I will say this. This is, we're off. We got to pull it back in. We got to get to some more things. We've all made the same points multiple times. We're talking about recruiting. The The defining thing is are they, should Ohio State be held to the standard of competing for national championship with Ryan Day? Yes. I think we all yeah. agree that. Should Ohio State be held to the standard of competing for recruiting national championships? That's where I think we have some disagreement. And then the question is. Can they compete for national championships on the field without competing for recruiting national championships? And that's the question. Ohio State's rise under Urban Meyer was fueled by recruiting. Jim Trestle won a lot of games without having the same level of recruiting. Mm -hmm. I think Ryan Day will be somewhere in the middle. Of course, what happens on the field matters the most. The question may be, if the recruiting isn't quite at the level, can they still win at the level? That would be the interesting thing. And that's where our disagreement is. We can do a lot of this in the offseason. I think there's some interesting stuff here. I want to get to like three more real quick. From the 602, it's Todd and Phoenix. Each week I submit a question in hopes that it gets read. It's a fun game of two hours anticipation <laughs> of anticipating, and it ends in disappointment. Anyway, I'll keep trying. Oh, sorry. You know what? We're out of time. And that's Buckeye Duck. <laughs> Why am I fearful of Penn State this week? Is it because this is the most talented roster we've played all year? Or is it years of down-to-the-wire games with them? On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm at a 7.5. Thanks, and as always, this is the best um, $4 I spend each month. Todd from Phoenix, we are thrilled that we got to you this week. It's my fault that we didn't get to you in the past. Hello, Todd. All right, let's do the scale. 1 to 10 in terms of, like, how much you're worried that, like, Ohio State could lose. Um, Like a 5.5. Really? That does not match up to me with the way you guys have talked about this for the last two hours. I thought you'd be like a three. I am. A two, I am a three. Actually, I'm a, I'm a two point five. Actually, but yeah, I am a three. Because like, like Todd's at a seven point five. I, I started to say five, and then I added the hook on the end of it. I'm at a two point five. Okay. I don't. But I. But I guess actually, if I say it's a five, and then I think then I'm saying I think it's fifty fifty. So I, I actually, it's probably more like. So so let's it's probably more like three point five. So what was your yeah. number? What was your number before Wisconsin for comparison? I uh, um. I think I was at a 
three or a four with Wisconsin. So your Penn State is equal to Wisconsin. Yeah. Okay. I think I was lower than that on Wisconsin. But I think my Wisconsin one was more because of the way Wisconsin plays. This one is more like because of what Ohio State is. Okay. But it's equal. Yeah. Pre going into the game, you were you thought you thought there was an equal chance that Wisconsin could beat Ohio State as to where you are with Penn State could beat Ohio State. Yeah. Okay. You're at a five for this. No, I'd say it's it's lower than that because if it's a five, then I'm saying it's fifty fifty. Okay. So more like maybe a. I don't think it's necessarily you're saying it's fifty fifty, but. I think, yeah. I think it's that's like just your worry, to... whatever. It's a fake number of a Penn fake State number. can plausibly come into Ohio Stadium and win. Okay. It, it's plausible that it could happen. So if you, let's say, stay with your five. You're at a five for Penn State. Where were you for Wisconsin? I mean, somewhere, like, I don't know, three, three and a half. Okay. I feel like I'm like at a six for Penn State, and I would have been at like a two for Wisconsin. So like Wisconsin can cram it. What they do doesn't beat Ohio State. What they do doesn't beat Ohio State. What they do doesn't beat Ohio State. What Penn State has done has played with Ohio State every inch of the game. But not this Ohio State I team. And that's, this... We're not rehashing it. I'm just rewind saying. it. Go this ahead. is another rewind portion of the podcast. Go, go back and re-listen <laughs> to the first two hours. So that's why I'm at a six. So I'm not at a 7.5 with Todd. It surprises me that I'm sitting here saying, I think it could be a one-point game. I'm a six. And you're sitting here saying, like, there's a huge talent gap. I'm a five. So That's going why I'm into, a little confused. Going into, I would have thought your answer, given the way you've talked about it this podcast, would be more like a two or a three. I need some, so I need to calibrate this. So <laughs> going into last year's Penn State Ohio State game, what would your level of concern have been? I have no idea. I have a terrible memory. Or, or last year's Michigan game. I'm trying to think of what are the, the other good teams that they played last year. I oh, think, I would have been like going into Michigan. I would have been like an eight man. I don't know if they can. They're like an eight or a nine. I don't think they can win this game. I think I felt against Michigan last year that Ohio State was going to win, and I chickened out as soon as we pressed record. Yeah, that's easy to say in retrospect. No, I, uh, no how convenient. No, that's literally what I did because everybody who was watching this video was like, "You just said you were going to pick Ohio State, but you didn't do it." I will say that I thought Ohio State was going to go nine and three this year. All right, let's get to the last question, and I wanted to cover this because this is important. Many of you asked about this. We will use JD's question: Do you guys take the over or under for Chase Young to have three sacks on Saturday? What are we expecting? From Chase Young, and I want to get to someone else asked if Chase Young is a robot, and I like that question. Yes. Uh, from the four four zero, do you think Chase Young will be rusty after being off for three weeks, working out the Woody? Out the Woody is not the same as playing in a game. You guys can start answering the Chase Young question, and I will keep asking Chase Young questions that people send. I don't think Chase Young will be Woody or <laughs> rusty, <laughs> even if he is a robot, wow. uh, because they've kept him out of the elements these last two weeks. Um, and I would take the under on three sacks only because two and a half sacks is still a hell of a lot of sacks for against a really good team. I think he's going to get a sack within the first five plays of he, that he's on the field. I, I, I'm not discounting the possibility that he literally tears a limb off of someone. Yeah, I think that there is a level of frustration that he had to sit out two games. And... He's a great guy and all that stuff, but he doesn't have to be a great guy on the field. And I think because of that, Sean Clifford might be in trouble. The other thing I would say is when you talk to players about Chase Young, yes, they talk about him being this like really fearsome, athletic, talented guy, but they also talk about how much film he watches, how much time he steadies. He's probably been watching a lot of Penn State film these last two well, weeks. Lee Harris said quarterbacks are scared of him. Yeah, and I think, but I'm saying just from a from a intelligence standpoint, yeah, that I, goes think, into it. I think he's, yeah, I think he has probably been plotting his 
return for a couple weeks now, specifically for this opponent. He's a technician. Ryan Day was talking about him getting some extra time with Larry Johnson on the side after yep. practice uh, from the 3-3-0. Is it possible that Chase Young is really a robot and this, quote, suspension was just a ploy intended to hide Chase Bot 4000 from the public eye while the Ohio State Engineering Department implemented upgrades before the final stretch run? Yes. He's... Is it possible he's a robot? <laughs> yes. He's the best defensive player in the country. Somebody was asking this week about, like, you know, is... The idea that he's rusty or that, like, is he going to be on a pitch count or whatever, he's not hurt. No. He's he was, not hurt. Right. And he wasn't. it wasn't like he was strapped to a bed yeah. for the past he's been 14 days, and then they finally unleashed yeah. him and said, okay, now go walk on your wobbly legs and try to win and, a, and a, like, go play football. Like, yes. he's been working out harder than ever probably he's, in those two he weeks. He just wasn't a part of the game plan, but he like was still a part of the normal practice. It's two though. awful teams. Like, right. I, I mean, the, the effect of – I think there's zero negative effect on his level of play based exactly. off. And I think the only thing Jeff Halfley was sort of joking about, maybe I hope he gets his get off is even better. I hope this is, I think he Could might jump, I yeah. think he might jump off sides. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. I, I, for I'll sure. set the over under like on one and a half. <laughs> oh, Chase yeah. Young jumping off sides penalties. Other than that, like he's Chase Young and he's going to be a little bit ticked. He's got to maybe pull that down a little bit, but he's not going to be rusty. He's not going to be, harmed in any way by being out and all they did I mean they really made sure that he didn't get hurt and so it's not a blessing in disguise he would have rather played and you know whatever but he'll be ready don't doubt that by the way he also from the beginning said I made a mistake he admitted some culpability in what happened maybe ultimate culpability in what happened so I don't think it's necessarily he's coming out to to take on the NCAA or whatever. I think he's probably motivated. There's some self-motivation here to go out and make up for what he missed the last two weeks, which is partially his own fault. So, not to be a jerk about it, but we're doing a meetup before the game. If you're a tech subscriber, subscriber, you're getting all the details for it. We are just keeping it... Anybody can show up, but the details are going to tech subscribers. That's what I'm telling you. And I've just decided this. There's going to be donuts. There's going to be coffee. And there's going to be Smokehouse Almonds. Oh, okay. Steven, Nathan, Doug, we are your Buckeye Talk coverage team. We appreciate you guys listening and reading. Make sure you're checking us out at cleveland.com slash OSU during the week. Try the text, 14-day free trial. More information at cleveland.com slash OSU. Big one, noon. So it's like three, it's like pregame just. Fox, ESPN, Big Ten Network, and Cleveland.com, which never gets mentioned. No one ever mentions the Cleveland.com tailgate and all this stuff going on. The four the horsemen of pregame shows are showing up to Ohio Stadium on Saturday. Take that, Joel Klatt. All right, we appreciate you guys for listening. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>